I would pay probably upwards of 100 quid and watch Eric Cantona walk on stage, put his collar up, say the Seagulls line, and then just stand there for an hour and a half. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. A very good morning to you. It's half past seven. It is Monday, the 19th of June. And the news this morning that you're waking up to is that Roy McIlroy is not the US Open champion. He finished a shot behind. And so, uh, a disappointment for him. And now all that remains for him to wonder whereabouts in our performance rankings does he fall this morning. Kathleen's here. Good morning to Kathleen. Good morning. He's definitely still up and awake and is like tuning in, eager to hear. Yeah, come on, let's stick me stick me in the green. Come on, I, I, uh, let's not, uh, no lobbying. But, um, I'll call him. Look hey, at sir. you. How Hello. are you? How are you? It's been a while. How are you? It has. Hi, Kathleen. Hello, everyone. It uh, looks so pale in comparison to you, Colm. <laughs> yeah. Um, great to watch you from afar for two weeks. I was, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Tuning in every day. Every day. Complaining about the intros and outros. Every day. Um, not great to be back. Very pleased. Definitely happy to have worked today. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, Wyndham Clark is the winner of the um, US Open. He won by a single stroke, finished 10 under par, uh, closing round of 70. Roy McIlroy also closing round of 70. Was not enough for him to be able to close the gap. Uh, he finished on nine under. Scotty Scheffler finished third on seven under. Cameron Smith had a good final round to get into uh, fourth on his own. Tommy Fleetwood burned up the court, course yesterday with a 63 to get uh, into also a share of fifth. And that was um, uh, Min Woo Lee also finished fifth after that. Ricky Fowler fell away with a closing round of 75. And that was really it. They were the main stories from the uh, final round. Um, but yeah, significant disappointment for uh, Irish golf fans who might have thought that it was going to be an incredible day, an absolutely incredible day, given Leona Maguire, cold-eyed assassin, was uh, a winner earlier in the afternoon. We'll get, up, we'll get to all that a little bit later on. Big stories in the world of Gaelic football. Reports of the demise of Gaelic football have been greatly exaggerated. We'd love to hear from you this morning if you are uh, celebrating or if you are indeed a Goway fan or a Mayo fan or a Monaghan fan. Shane's not here. He's uh, left an important part of his brain somewhere in a field in beyond the pale. Uh, and anyway, 087-918-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can get onto youtube.com forward slash off the ball. We do obviously have to talk about the Republic of Ireland football team. We're going to get to that uh, in just a moment. Is there anything anybody else wants to talk about before we get to uh, the end of the Martin Tyler era? You're a- the flight to Cyprus is way longer than I thought it was going to be. I assumed that most places in Europe are about two hours away. But um, I googled it, right? Yeah. And Cyprus is technically... Western Asia. Right. Well, I only realised when I landed. How long it, is the flight? Five and a bit hours. Oh, wow, that is long. And it, you know what the problem with that time? Is it's not long enough to be entertained by the flight. There's no screens or anything like that. So you really have to... You left, your own, you're left you're, your own devices. You're like. with a, a budget airline. Budget airline, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, a lot, it's, it's a long... Like, that's a long time. Turkish Air stick on a, a good L spread for you and they don't even beep out the, the swear words in uh, succession. Is that right? Did yeah. you watch succession on a plane? Yeah, I was in um, Istanbul for the Champions League final. Were you? It was very close to... Did you get caught Cyprus. up in the uh, alleged crowd trouble? 
Alleged that I heard crowd trouble or the problems beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah, we, we did a whole bit on a com. Did you? <laughs> uh, there's a good like five six minute clip of Jerry taking us through like uh, pictures, videos, hey, the whole lot. What second detail. I was like one of those uh, 1980s families who makes you sit through the the pictures of their holidays for four hours and everything. <laughs> Just give us the drink. Give us the drink. Uh, what happened? No, you can you can check back. Our, our our audience are more interested in what happened with Ireland, who had similar difficulties. But Cyprus, I you, heard. Yeah. Would you recommend it? I would recommend to a yeah. friend. It's very good. They're in the Euro. Same sockets, everything. A lot of British people there. Like a lot. I couldn't believe it. Right. And like outside of ourselves in our own group, I'd say I heard a handful of Irish accents. But it was mad because the plane from Dublin was completely full of all Irish people. So where'd they all go? I always love that moment when you get like a plane, say from Dublin, and you go to a foreign country and you kind of recognise everyone on the plane because you've like spent enough time in queues and stuff studying them and you feel like you know them a little bit and then you get to wherever your destination is and everyone just kind of disperses off to do their own thing and you're like, where are all these people going? Mm. What's their story? Mm. Ideally, they disperse off and you don't see them again for the holidays, <laughs> but then sometimes you end up being stuck. Uh, we did one package holiday ever in our lives and it was uh, 20 years ago, never again. Because we ended up on the plane with the same same family who happened to be from Arkla and had uh, big, broad Arkla accents. And we were like, oh, my God. So, sorry, my wife's family is originally from Arkla. So she was, mm. uh, she was allowed to, anyway, get myself in trouble with everybody here. <laughs> Hopefully no one's awake to listen in. Uh, so there is actually loads of other stuff. Spain won the Nations League on penalties last night against Croatia. Uh, it looks like Declan Hannan is in doubt for... Uh, the rest of the season from a Limerick perspective we'll bring you more news on that and uh, Verstappen won the Grand Prix so I mean that's obviously Shane's not here to tell us that uh, this was no this was exciting because it was slightly unexpected because this 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 and this but anyway you'll have to tune into the F1 pod for that but at 7.35 this morning it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings you know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Ooh. Here we go. We're going into our performance rankings. So, as mentioned before, uh, there's only really one place to start because we haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. Stephen Kenny's Ireland and that uh, woeful performance on Friday evening. I was watching it with an American woman who asked me, do Ireland always play like this? Um, So yeah, 13th loss for them from 23 competitive outings. We said for a lot of last week, we were like, if it's a loss and we actually put in the performance, we can see that there has been some sort of change, there's some sort of squad, but the general consensus over the last couple of days seems to be that this is possibly the worst Irish side that we have seen in a long, long time on the men's side and that... uh, Stephen Kenny is in a little bit of trouble. We don't know what is going to happen with him next. He was speaking to the media yesterday ahead of tonight's game against Gibraltar and he said on his contract situation, my contract is up to the end of the campaign and whether it's renewed will depend on how people feel the campaign went overall, but I certainly fully expect it to be. So that's how he feels at the moment. He said he was very much focusing on Gibraltar tonight and forgetting the woes of Friday. But I think even when you listen to how the Greeks were talking about it and uh, how obvious it was to them where all our holes and flaws were and how easy it was for them to target them, it's not a good place to be. Uh, our next fixtures, um, obviously, is Gibraltar tonight. And then after that, in September, in a four-day stretch, we're in Paris and then the Dutch come to Dublin. So, you know, I, I don't think there should be any knee-jerk reaction after tonight, really. Um, but, you know, 
it will require something remarkable from the games in Paris and then you hope against uh, the Netherlands in a, in a full Aviva I think the, the Gibraltar and Netherlands tickets were sold together is that correct? I'm fairly sure it was Yeah I think so So um, if there's 40 odd thousand there tonight um, uh, then you would expect that the the ground will be fairly full for the Netherlands Now they'd need to beat Gibraltar and then beat France and then beat the Netherlands I think for them to be in a situation where everybody's like oh actually you know what maybe things have changed but uh, I mean it'd be remarkable if that happens Yeah exactly Exactly, and it's not going to happen. So, I think we'd all be sitting here being like, "That's the greatest comeback in Irish sporting history." And even then, you'd still you'd still struggle to be getting out of the group because of the the scenario that we find ourselves in here. So, um, maybe you wouldn't if you were winning those games, but it's not going to happen. So that's that's the level we're at now, where it's like a, a miracle to get out of the situation, and it's it's desperately disappointing. Like there's no there's no way of dressing this up. I did the game on on Friday night in studio here with Finney Perth, and um, it just he was making the point that we got out coached um, tactically. They were better than we were, and we didn't adapt quickly enough to it. We didn't make changes that we needed to make, um, and obviously before the match when the team was named, Finney was very concerned about the shape of the team. Last week when we were talking about it, he'd posited three potential teams, you know, what he thought might be going through Stephen Kenny's mind. One of them ended up being the, the, the second half team where um, Mikey Johnson came on and that even that shape was slightly better. But those first 15 minutes were just so bad. It was like a lack of leadership, uh, a real misunderstanding about how to break the patterns of play nobody nobody like even managed to pretend that their contact lens was uh, jammed in their eye nobody broke the pattern of us being completely overwhelmed and that's why listening to the press conference yesterday um, Stephen Kenny's talking about the, the, the goals but the goals didn't come in isolation the goals came as a result of the pattern of play being completely one-sided in favour of Greece and Greece so thoroughly dominated us that they were really unfortunate to only win the game 2-1. I, I, I mean, I think it's ridiculous that we have this player of the match awards when we get beaten, but Bazunda was the player of the match. And, like, I don't know, could, could anybody else have been given any semblance of, like... Mark, I don't think so. You know, a mark over 5 out of 10. So, um, and look, I, I, get, I get that the players were not at it uh, because it's been so long since they played a game, listening to... Um, Gary Breen and, and David Connolly, they were making the point that even a friendly against Bowes or Rovers would have given the, the players timing, whereas in the 70-minute 11-a-side match that they played in Turkey, you're not going to go and crunch one of your teammates for fear that they get injured because then he's out and you're definitely not getting picked because you're getting punished by the, the manager. So the timing of the players was off in the first half. And players who we think are good played really badly. Mm. Like the midfield was Awful, atrocious, absent in that first half, and I think partly that was to do with the shape. I do, I do think partly that was to do with the shape, but I also think that um, uh, I don't know. So, like at that stage, it, it appears as if you're making excuses for what happened. But uh, you know, Greece had the same um, preparation that we had. Obviously, played uh, players in, in different leagues. Some of them had been off for as long as our players, and they didn't seem to to bear the same. Issues, you know, you would say Simica's touch looked pretty good for somebody mm. who's um, not a first choice player at but his team. Now, obviously, he's at a much higher level than any of our players. Mm. But it's also the fact as well that, like, 
such a big deal was made before this game of like the fact that Stephen Kenny had given the squad time and they had time together to get themselves up to speed and that they had been working really hard and they'd been working on different tactical formations and that, you know, the newer players that were still discovering the likes of like Mikey Johnson and stuff, that they had been integrated into the, the squad and maybe a way that it felt like everyone was on this, a similar page in a different way to how they were before. And then the, when they came out, like you were saying, those first 15 minutes, it was like a group of people who had never played together before. They just looked so off the pace, so off where they should be at this stage. And like I was reading a lot of stuff over the weekend of people saying that, you know, it's a bad team and it's the worst crop of players we've ever had. And the, you know, FAI certainly to blame for part of that in terms of how we've developed over the last couple of years. But also, I I don't think we're as bad as we actually did play on Friday. And that's the frustrating thing, the th- the fact that the entire team got totally outplayed, outthought, you know, tactics, whatever it was, by Greece in a way that we shouldn't be. I don't think anyways. And I'm not saying that to put like a positive spin because I don't think you can put much of a positive on Friday. I think there's a twin track to this, right? And both things are true. The the um, tactics were wrong and that is the result of the manager making those decisions. And also what Liam Brady said, I think is also true. This is the worst group of international players that we've had. Potentially ever, right? Like uh, going back in football history, we always had players who were uh, considered amongst the very best in uh, in. Our league, which was really good up until the 40s and 50s, and then all our best players uh, uniformly went across the water. And at that stage, we had players in all the best teams in England. So um, it doesn't feel like we are producing players who are capable of running a, a game or understanding. And look, maybe that's because we're not picking them. Maybe, maybe, maybe we have to just go back to kick and rush. Is that what everybody wants? Mm-hmm. Back to the Martin O'Neill and the second... Uh, Mitt McCarthy era and the end of trap is that like so we, we just need to be careful what we wish for here as well like uh, you can get Big Sam and Robbie Keane in you can do that and you can be guaranteed that uh, we'll be as exciting to watch as Leeds were in their final three games I don't of the think season. the uh, Stephen Kenny naysayers want to go back to kick and rush football they just want to go to major tournaments and have memorable moments and it feels at this moment that we're just a million miles away from that it was interesting that he picked Will Smallbone here as the first start this match it was such a huge game and everyone saw this game in advance that Greece away was going to be the game. Presumably that was because of the partnership that he and Matt Doherty developed against the against Latvia and that friendly that 3-2 win just before the France game. And also, you're talking about fine margins here. Remember Nathan Collins' header at the end of the France game? That yeah. was for one all. Yeah. And if, if that had been converted, because I remember the morning after here, we were fairly positive about Ireland's display, very disappointed to lose, but fairly positive. And then we're back to this again and it feels like we're always going back to this place with Stephen Kenny. I think after that result and particularly performance against Greece... I think it's all over for Kenny in terms of goodwill and uh, and his future as Ireland manager. So, for example, they win tonight. It doesn't really matter unless they absolutely obliterate Gibraltar. And even then, it doesn't even, really matter. I don't think... Like, and I mean, the, I Dutch was... and, the Dutch and France doubleheaders, <laughs> like, maybe... If yeah. you get, if they, get a, they probably have one valiant display where they narrowly lose and maybe get a point against the Dutch, right? To so say that happens, they play well twice. I still think it's not enough. It won't be enough. And even if, even if they won twice... It'll be the next round of fixtures, which is again going to be Greece and Gibraltar. If it's a draw at home to Greece, I told you so. And he's had too many I told you so's. Kenny, oh no, no, there needs to be like a, a miraculous run of results now, which is better than any run of results we've had in Irish football history. And we don't have the players to do that. And look, it's 
it does appear as if the uh, the manager is struggling to get the best out of these players, and that's the bit that I was hopeful wasn't going to be the case. I I was hopeful that he was coming up with a style that suited us, that was interesting uh, to the football public, that was progressive, and that allowed us to get into games, um, which you know, uh, which we could all get behind, and that unfortunately has not been the case. It has been good result followed by really bad results. Like, if you look at the divergent path from Ireland hammering Scotland that time and where Scotland have gone on to from then to now, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if if Ireland were to play Scotland in the morning, I would expect Scotland to hammer us the way Scotland are playing at the moment and the way Ireland are playing. And yet, we just, this time last year. So I I don't know. And we haven't even plateaued at any stage. It's it's been very up or very down. There's been no point where it's just kind of been like, this is steady we're like slightly climbing, maybe might drop a little bit against certain higher up teams and then like slightly climbing again. It's just been like, whoop, whoop. Yeah. yeah. But also they don't get hammered Kenny sides. So we're in this uh, eternal purgatory about where is this team actually going? And it's kind of down. But they're, if they were getting blown out of it game after game, he'd already be gone. Like, oh, it's yeah. The, it's the fact that he's, he's constantly staying in there. And also I think what frustrates people about Kenny is he's a big defender of his side especially in the media like especially talking afterwards and again he's like he's still seen the green shoots of the performance at times against Greece and how okay he said they were insipid but that they were always in the game and like that really infuriates people especially people who don't want them in the job so the, like ideally people want him to come out and say like we're as terrible as everyone's saying yeah. and, and obviously he's not going to do that No and I think that's the right thing for him to do too yeah. you know like uh, for whatever um, you know Stephen Kenny has been very true to his core beliefs and I've no doubt that whatever uh, whatever experience he takes from this into the future is going to be very valuable for him as a football manager. Um, I, I it's it's very difficult to see a way in which he's going to get another campaign. I do think that they they shouldn't uh, prevent him from taking that next double header. For example, I don't think that makes any sense. I, you know, somebody was saying oh, you've got to give somebody a new opportunity to bet in before the following campaign. I, I mean, they don't have a huge amount of money in the FAI. We know that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'd be able to find money for something if they thought that uh, something was out there on the list, on the lists that are being made now of potential replacements. Lee Carsley's name has bubbled up to the top. John O'Shea's name is there. He's obviously part of the backroom team. Roy Keane's name is there. Uh, Big Sam, uh, because of his his link with Robbie Keane at Leeds, uh, has has come back into um, people's reckoning. And manager Limerick. Yeah, that's his thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it would be the single most important aspect of his entire managerial career if he was to get the job. Um, and so, you know, obviously uh, Chris Hewton, who is not pulling up trees in um, Ghana at the moment. Uh, Phil was saying he follows some Ghanaian journalists on uh, Twitter outside and that's the perception there is that the football isn't particularly enjoyable either. And that was the case. It has been the case. Like a very competent manager. But like... The thing with all those managers, they'll all have the same group of players... And looking at the Greece team as well, it's like a very good development 11. Or back in the day, you know, you'd have your A team. Like the England A's in the mid-90s to see who's going to get picked the last remains of, of a World Cup squad. Like, it's quite exciting, but it's an exciting team for the future, largely. And then ideally you're like, well, there's, it's, there's surely another set of 11 that can play. But that's that's the utmost of what we have. The Francie Brady says, whatever you think of them, experienced successful coaches like O'Neill, Trapp and Mick told us the players weren't good enough, but we said, no... They were the issue, it turns out. It turns out they weren't the issue. Uh, 
I don't think you can be the manager of a team and tell the players they aren't good enough and expect them to somehow yeah. put in great performances. You just can't. And I think that's the the bit here that like if 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 our response to what's gone on here is to go, oh, we need a hard ass who comes in and tells us all we're shit. It's like, well, okay, let's just massively throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Like, mm. I think it's interesting. A lot of the comments that are coming in this morning, like people who say they're active Kenny supporters and have been, but found like Friday really tough, or found the last couple of days really tough to defend him. A lot of what they keep coming back to is we can totally appreciate what Kenny has done in terms of the players he's brought in, or what he has done for certain players but maybe now is the time to move on to something where we're not getting caught out in like a tactical sense in the way that we were on Friday and they're like again they're not trying to do down on Kenny and like appreciate his legacy but then the also opens up the question of well then who what is the next step do we have someone who can actually take us to the next level yeah well like whenever Stephen Kenny goes then we'll have the question of which legacy would you prefer like would you prefer Martin O'Neill's tenure at Ireland which ended so negatively that friendly against Northern Ireland and barely anyone showed up would you like that legacy where he had that moment Euro 2016 or would you prefer Stephen Kenny's where we didn't really get anywhere on paper but he did try fundamentally change the way Ireland played football um, and oftentimes it wasn't uh, clearly apparent if if Martin O'Neill had left after the Euros, I yeah. think he would have had a, a second and third life as a manager in English football on the back of that. But he stuck around for the following campaign, and we got annihilated. That's that's that that's what happened there. Um, like getting out of a group in a tournament is an all-time Irish football legacy, right? But that team played reasonable football, and we actually had a a midfield who was playing football. Like I do, I do wonder. It's not true that um, other managers would have the same players. Other managers would have had Jeff Hendrick and Robbie Brady in the team against Greece. Would they have made a difference? Like, are, are people saying that that would have been fundamentally better than Malumbi? Maybe. Do you know? Like, I I don't know. Um, but I, I guarantee you that Mick wouldn't have had the same team at all. Like. Uh, those centre backs, I don't know. Would Nathan Collins have been in the team? Maybe. Um, we would have been playing four four two, more than likely. Uh, and I'm fairly sure that James McLean would have started, probably on the left wing. Um, I mean, Matt already obviously he can't play left back. We were told after that half in, in Gibraltar. So look, I don't know. We're, yeah, and they could, have, and they still could have lost two one. We're down the rabbit hole here. You know, they still could have. But it would be more recognisable because the team would be pretty obvious and no frills. Whereas this team, the Stephen Kenny Pitt, was straight away being like, oh, that's risky. Straight away. So that's the difference, really. Mm. And I'm seeing one comment like Martin O'Neill's tenure is objectively better. It was like because he had the Euro 2016 moment, but like he had no interest at all in developing Irish football. It was just getting results, which is what he would say he was paid to do. Didn't care what was coming through, but he was able to provide results. Kenny's pretty much the opposite. All right. Is, is there a thing where like he's brought us to the space where he's changed the way we play football he's changed the way that like we have approached football in the way we have the last couple of years and okay that's not a successful route for us now but depending on who they get in next and if they get someone in that kind of applies the same theories to Irish football but actually has the tactical skill with to bring it along a little bit forward this is like a longer term project that there was just too much for Kenny to fix um, the difficulty is that uh, we have in, in human history watched most Football organisations do the exact opposite next of what they had done previously. So there's never a sense of <laughs> building on top of it. No. You know? 
So, and look, yeah, I, uh, that's the difficulty here is that like Kenny took on the ambition of changing how we were perceived, yeah. and at the moment we are not perceived as particularly difficult to play against and Greece didn't find it difficult to play against us so um, anyway that is in the red Stephen Kenny's Ireland is in the red and it is a long precipitous climb back to um, great motivation for him though imagine that what are you thinking now everyone basically everyone hates his team like I don't hate his team I don't hate his team and everyone's like you're no good get out of here imagine him imagine him sitting with those thoughts the whole time it's a great motivator like yeah, or, or it ruins you. But yeah, it very much depends on the sort of person that you are. I would say he's We now know what sort of person Colum is. I think he's the former. Can I just... Um, people are saying, oh, Big Sam doesn't play hoofball. At, at Bolton, he had like Yuri Jorkiev and he had Ivan Campo JJ. and JJ Okocha. We don't have those players. Yeah. We don't have those players. We've got Josh Cullen. Like, uh, you know, he has been really... It was a terrible mistake against France, which costs a fairly famous... And a very important start of the campaign. And then he was completely anonymous. Himself and Malumbi were both anonymous. And I, I think playing Will Smallbone was actually a symptom of Stephen Kenny getting in his own head a bit too much and and not doing the thing that had got him to this point. It was like, okay, this is going to offer us more opportunity. But Will Smallbone's not ready for, for uh, Broadway just yet. Like one half season in the championship was not enough. Anyway, schluck. Leave it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Hopefully tonight we will have a, a better result. Also in the red, we have Connacht football after all the teams that were playing at the weekend lost. Some of them less expected than others. Obviously, Dublin absolutely hammered Sligo, which was a little bit expected. Well, it was very expected. I'm trying to make myself feel better about that one by saying that. Uh, Armagh got a famous win against Galway. Uh, there was very nearly a Shane Walsh free at the end that went over if it had gone over. It would have been a draw. Roscommon losing to Kildare. I mean, the final moments of that game were absolutely sensational. And then Mayo as well, getting that surprise defeat against Cork. Once again, not turning up. But uh, yeah, no, that, I mean, the Kevin Feely grab for the mark at the end. In the Score Kildare. of the year so far. But we <laughs> talk was, about that, he's going to be in the green. Yeah, exactly. It was a beautiful moment. But yeah, not a good weekend uh, for any of those sides uh, from Connacht. I mean, for Mayo, it means that they have to go the roundabout way into the quarterfinals if they want to be able to get there. A uh, couple of weird decisions from them in that one, particularly Aidan O'Shea towards the end where he lofted it free into the box. Rather than he himself, the biggest man on the pitch probably being in there if he was going to go for goal or if he just stuck it over the bar that also would have been helpful to them um, so yeah not not a good weekend for those teams uh, yeah to hell or to Connacht <laughs> I mean look they were they were banging on about how they were so great for so long this one weekend everybody else is going to enjoy it but um, obviously uh, three of the teams aren't dead yet and in fairness I think Sligo are relatively happy with uh, the experience they've had of, of playing at this level and um, they were talking in the aftermath about how it's going to improve them and bring them on next year. So Division 3 is going to be fairly sensational next year because the Mead Renaissance is underway. Um, and we're awaiting the draw for the semi-finals. We could yet have uh, the Andy McIntyre Derby in the Talton Cup. We'll talk more about this a little bit later on. The draw is going to be made at half eight this morning. We'll bring it to you as soon as we get it. Yeah, we will have Cahill in at that time as well talking about the golf. So it'll be lots of fun things. Uh, in the Amber, we have none other than Rory McIlroy. So as we said earlier, the wait for that f- elusive fifth major continues. Uh, closing round of 70 for him. 
he lost to Wyndham Clark. So he was only a first-time winner on the PGA Tour uh, in May. He won at Wells Fargo. Um, but yeah, McElroy's 9-under total was just a shot shy to force a playoff there. And his wait continues. Uh, I think there was a surprising amount of Irish people actually stayed up last night to watch it. I know even when chatting to guests to come on today, a lot of people were like, no, sorry, staying up to watch McElroy. There really was a feeling that he could do something this weekend. Uh, and I think that's why so many people jumped on. And as we said, obviously, Leonardo Maguire won as well. So that was... An- it could have been a, a great day for Irish golf and really put itself on, well, put itself properly on the map for this season. But um wasn't to be. He was talking afterwards and he said he would take another 100 Sundays like today if it meant that he was still in contention for those big titles and he still had a chance to win another Masters or another major. So, yeah, it was... A, a tough day for him, but he seemed fairly content with it. He didn't seem absolutely devastated afterwards. Uh, and I salute any person who is listening to us right now and also stayed up to watch it, unless you're doing a complete rollover, which I also would salute. Yeah, poor Cahill, half an hour sleep he's working on here. I can't wait to see what we're going to see. He's surprisingly awake. Ah, it's Cahill, like, you know, he's flawless. Yeah. <laughs> the, man, the man's flawless. But come here, like, um, 16 pairs in his last round. And the number of top 10 finishes, even top 5 finishes he's had, like he's doing absolutely everything right, like he said. Golf is one of those sports, like you can have a Wyndham Clark who rocks up and just has the, the weekend of his life and it happens to coincide one of the biggest tournaments of the year. It happens, you see, Todd Hamilton did it 20 years ago at the Open, never to be heard from again, like you just, you're able to show up and perform when it matters most. But uh, our own John Duggan pointed this out last night, which I thought was very interesting, or actually four hours ago, that's how late people were staying up. Jack Nicholas has had a, re- Jack Nicholas had a record of 19 runner-up finishes. You know, just because it's nearly a decade with McIlroy, he's very young in the game of golf. He's definitely going to add to his majors. There's no doubt about it. Well, I, I did have doubt about it. I thought that he wasn't going to be able to get back to this level. And I felt like there was going to be a hangover from the whole live thing. And there isn't. It turns out he is actually channeling that and playing better golf as a result this week. He just needs to have some putts drop. Um, I did feel like there was a, a point where he wasn't going to be able to come back keep coming back but it turns out he can and that's why it's fascinating like he's in the Mayo stage of his career at this point and we just want him to get over the line um, when I do finally win this next major it's going to be really really sweet I'd go through a hundred Sundays like this to get my hands on another major championship uh, so look we've got to move on uh, that is the Amber he's only an Amber because uh, he didn't win but I think the fact that he was able to be as relevant as he was all week this week and play slightly differently uh, from the normal swashbuckling Roy McIlroy would suggest that there's a maturity in his game and he's going to be okay. And mm. see what it's interesting how he seems kind of okay with it, but I just from reading what people were saying, you know, our own Joe Malloy and stuff, it almost felt like those people felt more pain for him that he hadn't <laughs> quite made it. Like, <laughs> there was a lot of people, and maybe it was just the lack of sleep as well. Um, up Mayo, wherever you go, says on YouTube, sorry lads, Rory is Kendall. Uh, Rory might be Kendall. Uh, Why is that? Who's Logan? Uh, a tiger. Um, so, it, it, am I right in saying this? Is, is, is it? Is, Who's Connor? Is Royal Liverpool? Where he won there before. So, am I right in saying twenty twenty three? Anyway, we'll come back to that. With the, we'll do proper golf um, with uh, the man who stayed up to watch it. Call it a little bit later. 
Yeah, so coming up in the green, we have another golfer in Leona Maguire. So she has come second in the Meyer LG LPGA Classic the last two years. Um, but finally, third time lucky, she carded at eight under par 64 to win. She started uh, yesterday two holes off the lead and then four birdies and an eagle in her final six holes gave her her second success on the tour. So she birdied the 13th, 16th, 17th and 18th and then the eagle came on the 14th um, I mean it's great to see for her that she finally is kind of catching up and getting a few more of those tour wins that we've said that we've always known she can get and hopefully she can just keep building on it as she said herself that she's been playing some really good golf leading into this week and she just was trying to be patient with herself and not put too much pressure uh, also that it was nice to go bogey free and that her goal was to get 20 under so she said it was nice to get one better than that um, and yeah she just said it was a tough weekend that she didn't feel like she, it was free-flowing golf for her uh, which from the outside you would say it looked pretty free-flowing but clearly she was feeling the pressure a little bit but yeah she managed to come out on top I haven't seen the updated rankings just yet but she was 20th in the world heading into the uh, the tournament and I suspect she'll be up a few places as well I think the most important part about this is that her her form has kind of like most golfers ebbed and flowed a bit mm-hmm. but it's always come back and uh, she's a genuine superstar of the game and 350 grand for winning this like it's um, it's not some change but it's like uh, you know just an, an expectation now that she's going to be competing at the very top level. So congratulations to her. She's a cold, hard assassin when it comes down to the back <laughs> nine. She is a killer. This is exactly what we need in Irish sports. Way more Leona Maguire's. I think like... She's like Logan, so... You're going to... You, maybe. You're going to find a lot of Irish sports teams beating a path to um, to the door going... Um, so what, how, how does this work? Why, why, why do you always play your best when it's most difficult? <laughs> I was going to say, can we get a consultancy yeah, come I mean. set up for her? And then she can come. Her and maybe like David Sharkey or something, they could team up and do some theming and also some how to be a cold, hard killer in the final moments of a game. Speaking of cold, hard killers, Kevin Feely. I'm delighted for the man. Like, uh, to, to do his Achilles the way he did was horrific. Uh, uh, you know, in your 30s, you do your Achilles, most people don't come back from it. He came back in a record-breaking time and then was thrust into being required way ahead of it. And then... And then, I don't know if you saw it, but afterwards he was just sitting there still panting and sweating uh, in the studio afterwards going, um, and they were asking him, you know, are you left-footed or right-footed? And he's like, oh, no, I'm right-footed. But he kicks, he's kicking all the points of the left foot. In the last second, like the, literally the last play of the game, to still have the energy, despite the fact that you, you like your you know, new Achilles. I mean, look, it's one of, it's actually the most important score that Kildare have had since McGinney era, right? That's the first thing. And it's definitely the score of the year so far, and I'm not hearing any arguments. So. I have to agree, to be honest. Like, it was an incredible take. And actually, there was one stage in the La Rochelle match where there was a similar moment of, like, an absolutely brilliant take. And it was so reminiscent of that one. And I just, I think for, like, we've listened to Shane talk about Roscommon so much over the last like yeah screw you Shane <laughs> couple of weeks and the Where's fact messiah now Flanders <laughs> the fact that you know Davy Burke is a messiah of football and he's going to take over the world and I mean I I think he has a point in the fact David Burke has obviously done an incredible job at Roscommon but it felt like Kildare just had their number and not only that they had those moments of pure class to see it out and it's a bit like you were saying about Leona Maguire. It, 
it's rare that you've seen those moments of class from the Skildare side in recent times, I think is probably fair to say. Um, so yeah, it was a, a, gr- a good win for them and also very enjoyable to watch. I do enjoy seeing Roscommon getting beaten, I won't lie. It was an incredible end to the group stages. Like, mm. let's, let's have a proper, honest reconciliation with how everybody feels about the group stages now. Before you go, oh, it's only one. It's like everything was building up. The whole point of the elaborate structure was to create yesterday's scenarios where every single score mattered. And Kieran McGinney afterwards was effusive in his praise. It was like mm. literally every point at the end of those games mattered. And We actually have a clip of him talking about that as well, if you want to listen to it. It's very hard to know what's going to keep people on TV happy. I know what keeps the supporters happy. More games, more competitive games. Nearly every game this year in the Ryan Robin system has been competitive. A couple of years ago we were playing we don't have enough games. Now we're saying we're too, to have too many games. Then there was dead rubbers and now there's no dead rubbers. But it's, but to me, you, know, that you have to sit back and sort of see. Like some of the games today, everybody was fighting for every score. It wasn't even winning the game. It was fighting for every single score. But to me, the system you know, is, is much better. Yeah, way better. And uh, you were making the point about the the uh, Mayo free at the end. A point there would have meant everybody ends up on uh, four points of scoring difference, and uh, all of a sudden this is hugely important. And like that's a transformative moment for uh, maybe not for Kerry because it looks like Kerry are back in form, but perhaps for Mayo. So Mayo could be heading out in a whimper next week. And um, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was all excellent. Mm. Well, if you were to pick like who was going to end up in the quarterfinals at the end of like this series and you said Kerry, Derry, Dublin, you'd be like, yeah, fair enough. And if you threw Armagh into the middle of it, everyone would have been like, what? What happened with that? And like they, it, it's not the fact that, you know, Armagh have had like great success the last couple of years. It was just more that the the way it was set up, it felt like everyone thought it was completely obvious what was going to happen and how this was going to go because everyone was like, oh, well, it's it's not competitive or like there's nothing on the line. But then you get a day like yesterday and it was like, I wish I had 50 eyes and 50 TV screens so that you could actually watch every single game because all of them pretty much apart from, say, maybe ones like Dublin and Saigo were quite interesting and pulled off some sort of interesting result, even if it was Kerry absolutely hammering loud in the way they did like uh, Cork what the hell Cork six points down and all of a sudden uh, what uh, you're supposed to you're supposed to roll over that's what we've seen they've been flaky but they really weren't like that was sensational and then for Westmeath with nothing to play for to uh, stop Tyrone the way they did uh, Desi Dolan was very angry afterwards with the way his team had been written off and accused of not being worthy of their place but uh, like yeah, Division 3 next year is, is going to be absolutely on fire. Uh, so, um, I don't know. I thought that yesterday was like a, an awakening of the Gaelic Football Championship. And let's wait and see what happens. And then and then maybe we can stop with the, oh, this is all terrible. The game's, the game's dead. There's also the thing of like people saying, well, like, oh, well, if it's Kerry and Dublin in the final, what does all this matter? And you're like, well, no, you want a good championship. It doesn't matter if a team goes out in the quarterfinals, and, but they've gone on some like amazing run throughout the rest. That's part of the fun. And the power rankings this week, there's going to be many changes. I think, I think, I think McGinney was referencing the power rankings and the difference between Galway and Armagh. Galway at the top of the front, first page, Armagh at the bottom, uh, barely a point between them after extra time. Last year they were lost on penalties. Anyway, uh, Tommy Rooney has a lot to answer for. Have we another green or is that it? Nope, that's us. All right, that's this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. 
After the break, John Fallon on tonight's game and Stephen Kenny's future. To be honest, it's, it's irrelevant. You know, it's irrelevant. I just really focus on um, developing the team um, and preparing the team for, for tomorrow. So that, that, there's a lot of criticism and, you know, some of it justified and I have to accept that. And um, likewise, some of it inaccurate. That's, that's the nature of it. And I think from my point of view, I'm not, I'm not fixated with it. I'm just fairly focused on what, what we have to do. And, uh, you know, I'm just focused on the, on the task at hand, which is managing this group of players that, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> we're not perfect. Uh, you know, but I, I'm, I really believe in the players. I, you know, I believe in the players. I know people have other viewpoints. I believe in the players. I think it's not perfect that a lot, that a lot of them are not playing at their clubs. That's been really tough for them. A lot of players that, some of our better players are not playing at their clubs and that's been difficult. But that's not an excuse. Um, we wanted to win against Greece, we didn't win. Um, but that is the reality. And other players that should be in the team, but they haven't been playing for so long and they're amongst our most talented. Um, there's a sense of frustration, but that's that's the reality. It's very hard to come out and not be playing for months and months and come out and play an international level, particularly a game in the intensity the other night. But that's the reality. But I, I believe in the players that we've got. I think we've got a really talented group um, coming, you know, coming through. I think they were disappointed the other night. If we'd have won the other night against Greece, everything would have been on track. We're going into Gibraltar game, everything great. Now, because we didn't, it's a catastrophe. And I do get that. Um, but we've just got to focus on tomorrow and uh, and Gibraltar make sure they're ready I know the games are tight previously and I think um, so we've just got to get, get ourselves ready and make sure we get a, get a home victory OCB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now it's 12 minutes past 8 you're watching OTB AM this Monday morning if you want to get in touch with us you can leave a comment on our YouTube stream youtube.com forward slash off the ball you can tweet us at off the ball AM or of course you can always get us uh, the old fashioned way text or WhatsApp 0879-180-180 is the number John Fallon of the Irish Examiner is with us to reflect on a crushing defeat for the Republic of Ireland in Athens and to look ahead to what's going to happen tonight John before we get to the football from a contractual perspective um, and from a board perspective uh, what what is actually what happens now over the next period of time well I don't think anything immediate is going to happen uh, unless uh, there's a, a humiliation to noise in the form of not beating Gibraltar ranked 201 uh, in the world um, but what you do have coming up is a routine board meeting I think it's Tuesday week and I'm sure as part of uh, that um, a schedule. There'll be a review of the international affairs, all the teams, 21s, women's and so forth. And you can expect that the senior team's performance will arise at that stage. Now, how far that goes, as I said, would probably depend on, on on tonight's outcome. But what you can be sure of is it'll certainly be, uh, garner discussion um, arising from Friday night's events in Athens. Um so that's sort of the next step in terms of the contract. It it runs all the way up to the end of this campaign, which could go as far as March uh, next year um, in the likely event, it seems. Um, although it is marginal that we're in the Euro playoff series, which is two games 
Um, so that's the contract that Stair Stephen mentioned it yesterday. Um, but we should also remember that there is a provision in there um, that a termination can take place, which doesn't uh, uh, require the FEI to pay out the full salary that will be remaining on the contract. So they're the they're the they're the, the, the variables that are involved. Um, so maybe we'll know a bit more this time tomorrow when this game is out of the way tonight. In terms of a, a potential succession plan, right? Obviously, uh, every uh, well-run organisation in the world has succession plans in place for all of their uh, major roles. Um, who who would actually be making the list of potential successors? Whose job within the FAI is it to plot a course for the future? Yeah, I think it's sort of one man now. It's a chap called Mark Canham, who was brought in last year as the head of football, which was the previous incarnation held by a real doctor. And, you know, he wasn't really there when this contract was, was organised previously. Um, and he sort of sits at the at, at the apex of the FEI football uh, structure. So uh, Stephen and Vera Powell on the women's side would be answerable ultimately to Mark um, so if the board or Jonathan Hill is looking for guidance, it is he that he will turn to. He's got extensive experience uh, from the English FA and also the English Premier League. Um, so in this instance, it being a football decision, um, I think the responsibility would lie with him to scour the market and maybe sound out people or potential candidates and to come up with a list and take it from there. I, I think a lot of Irish football fans probably don't know that much about him. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, he was quite a low key name when that when that um, recruitment process was on. There was other names linked with that job, uh, sort of former internationals and so on. Um, so Mark has been in the job, I think, just over a year. Um, hasn't done any formal media work, but has been working behind the scenes. Um, obviously, with the um, with the facilities program that went on, or the facility strategy that was on, he would have been involved in that. He's been around the country then doing these these pathway road shows, and uh, he's been dealing with people. Um, but I think for now, he's certainly happy to work behind the scenes. But depending on how things go here, there's probably going to be a big spotlight on him. Um, and uh, this this is one that he, he will uh, his expertise will be recorded, and also his contact book. Um, if we're going to um, sort of spread the net and look for the right candidate. It's kind of a two-part question, but is there much of an indication in terms of what his relationship is like with Stephen Kenny going into, say, a situation where maybe there needs to be a conversation of what the future looks like? And then also, should that happen in terms of his contact book, where he might be looking? Like if he has other experience with the FA, is, it, is most of his contacts based in England or English managers? Yeah, on the first part, his relationship with Stephen Kenny, um, we don't know that, you know, this, I don't think Stephen has really mentioned him, but I do know he was in, uh, he was part of the delegation in Greece there last week. I saw him on the sideline when they were training on, the, on Thursday night. Um, secondly, yeah, his, 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 uh, his background is primarily in England. He was a player. Um, and then he moved into the football education side of things. Um, he would have been sort of the Premier League link man between all the clubs in terms of the uh, the structures and the standards that they would have had to met. So he would have been dealing with all those and the various people that have come and gone. Um, but that doesn't mean he, he, you know, he doesn't have an interest in further beyond the UK, um, which you probably see as a trend across Europe. Um, associations do go for people 
um, outside of sort of the goldfish bowl. So you wouldn't restrict it just to that. But there are certain people that he would be aware when you look at that um, background that he would have come across who, you know, may have some Irish links. Uh, it, it has got to the stage where we're starting to realistically consider contingency plans because it's difficult to see any way back from this point for Stephen Kenny, barring a remarkable run of results, which would be the equal of any series of results that we've ever had in Irish football history. Like that's the the scale of the task facing Kenny to salvage something from this campaign, really. Yeah, he spoke yesterday about exceptional results, and um, I know Matt Doherty uh, spoke to Nathan and, and ourselves the other night in the same context that we are capable of doing this, um, but we're really coming from a low base, you know, zero points from six after two games in a campaign realistically, which is only about six games because, you know, if you assume everyone's going to beat Gibraltar, um, it's between, you know, the, the other sort of four nations. So, um, we have to really, you know, of the, of, of, we have to beat, we'd have to beat Greece at home. Obviously, we'd have to beat Holland at least once. Um, if, if the, what Stephen envisions, which is France running away with the group, um, leaving it between the other three to fight it out for one place. And, you know, recent history just shows we, we haven't, we don't do that. You know, we haven't had a big, big results probably since the 2018 campaign. You know, when we went away and beat Austria and Wales, it's a long time ago. Um, and the question arises is, 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 is what we've seen. You know, in the recent past, enough to give you confidence that that can happen uh, in its current guise. So, um, yeah, I would, I would concur with what you're saying. I think it's, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, and that will probably frame some of the conversations that the FU are going to have internally um, in the coming months. Uh, so. Realistically, right? Let's let's assume we win tonight, and then we, you know, we have okay performances. Uh, you know, you would expect us to have backs to the wall performances in Paris and and the Dutch, and maybe we get a, a point out of those two games. But it's not a disaster, or maybe we maybe we sneak a famous victory. Um, what, what's what what would need to happen for Stephen Kennedy to get the opportunity if we even do manage to get a playoff? Or do you do you feel like they'd give him a playoff rather than change in advance? Yeah, there's a, there's a few parts to that, you know. Like we, we've got to we've got to set out the context here. Like Stephen was given this contract extension uh, after the last World Cup campaign, which I think was in November twenty one, and it was it was on the basis of of tolerating some of the mishaps that had gone on before, um, uh, in the context of having a team that was going to be ready to compete, um, seriously compete to qualify for Euro twenty twenty four. Um, so, so far, so that, that, that just hasn't happened. And, um, the likelihood is we're, we're, we're going to be relying on that playoff, which we, we don't even, we're not even guaranteed to be in. You know, you'd need your Madden petitions here at the moment. And I know Nathan's a bit of a guru on that front to find out exactly what the prospects are, but we could end up getting to November and having no playoff, which is basically means you'd have, th- there would be nothing there in 2024. So, um, the body of evidence or the dilemma facing the FEI is that they just continue on as they are, you know, which in some people's eyes would be the definition of insanity. Or do they look at alternatives and say, well, if we are going to have a change, we'll at least give that person those games between September and November and the playoff to build for the next campaign. Um, so that's really, that's, that's really where it's at. And that's what it's going to come down to. 
Um, as you say, I think tonight is going to be a formality. Gibraltar just lose games 3-0. Um, but I don't think that's going to make too much of a difference. Um, uh, it's, 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 as I said, wrote this morning and most people have, it's really a no-win game, you know, for Stephen. Um, the damage really was, was the major part of what was done on Friday night. So I think once the dust settles, um, this week, I, I would, ex- I would expect some, some deep thoughts and conversations to happen in the coming weeks. So you, you think actually it could be as imminent as that, that there could be a decision made in advance of the double header against the Dutch and the French? Possibly. Yeah, I think possibly. And you sort of started out with contingencies. If they have particular targets in mind, are they going to become available? Um, if they don't go and get them now, are they going to commit elsewhere or does it leave them vulnerable to losing that person to, to another opportunity? So I think that will come into the equation as well. So... um uh, like we, you know, you probably saw the comments. Like Stephen said, he 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 fully expected, and will definitely expect to be uh, see out this campaign. Um, and then when he was pushed a bit more later on in the embargoed section, um, he said that he didn't say it was a certainty. Um, so I haven't, I've yet to see, really, or hear of anything that 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 gives him the entitlement to feel that that's going to be the case. Um, as we know in football, particularly management. It's very precarious, and I think already, you know, two games into this campaign, a quarter of the campaign, um, we're in that phase. Uh, and in terms of the decision makers around that, obviously it'll be a collective board decision, um, but somebody somewhere has to feel like they're confident enough that they have a replacement plan in place that's better than what's there already. And is that back to the head of football and the chief executive? And are they the ones who ultimately make that? Or is it more... The, the board members who will decide uh, where does that power rest in your view? Yeah, I, I, like I, I, this is this is sort of a peculiar one you know, historically you know, in the John Delaney area, it would have always been the board mentioned as that but we've an, we, we've a different construct to the board now, like we have we have independent directors in there who who weren't you know, they, they, they weren't enlisted for the football expertise. And I know some of them have stated publicly that they don't really have much knowledge of football. So that would be ludicrous, I think, to put that in the hands of, of it's a 12 person board, but currently there's only 10 there that they can sit around the table and, you know, come up with their idea of football and who should be manager and who shouldn't be manager. So my anticipation is that they would, they would, they will leave it to the more qualified people who would be the head of football and chief executive. To come up with a report and recommendation, um, both in terms of of the current manager position and what the plan B is, and if they feel that that's 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 viable, I think they would endorse that decision. Um, so I don't I don't think it's I don't think this is a decision that would be taken by the traditional board. I think they would be guided by those football people. Um, which is the way it should be, realistically. Um, now you may have a situation from the board. Whereby there's a subcommittee formed, and how that happened the last time when the succession plan um, uh, was executed, there was, only, there was there was two board members and uh, Gary Owens, the chief executive. So you may have that situation, you know, depending on those people, like looking at the the uh, the composition of the board. Yeah, you, you basically have five from the football side, five from the independents. One of which on the independents is Packy Bonner. So again, he may be someone that has a contribution to make. On this, uh, given his experience and his and, and his the fact that he's sort of highly involved with UEFA, 
Obviously, there's been a lot of focus on Stephen Kenny since Friday because at the end of the day, the book does tend to stop with the manager and it's easier to get rid of a manager than it is an entire squad. But they can't, they're also at fault massively for what happened on Friday. And when we're looking at succession plans, the one thing that keeps coming up is the fact that this isn't one of the greatest crop of players that we've ever had. And that's not something you solve overnight. You know, that requires investment from very much grassroots levels all the way up. When the FAI are looking for someone, if they do get rid of Kenny shirt, you would think it would probably need to be someone who can support that and understands, I suppose, the systems if we're actually to get ourselves out of this situation. But like, what is the likelihood of that happening if I know I've seen like a lot of different names mentioned some former Ireland players and then there's other ones which are you know English managers coming in but it it feels like to me that you know we look at say what Vera Powell did when she came in with the team and one of the things that she's always said is that she had enough people around her to kind of keep that side of the grassroots side of things going and building what's the likelihood that Stephen Kenny's successor is going to be able to know the league and I suppose develop the talent and maybe the way we need? Yeah, it's it's, it's a good point. And um, uh, I think I think that would be part of it. And that's why I I doubt, again, we're, you know, we're, we're being hypothetical about this. You know, Stephen's in the job until, for, until we hear, other, uh, hear otherwise. But the person that comes in will, I think, have to have a working knowledge of the... Uh, of the climate here, and importantly, is surround themselves with the right people. Um, so again, you could go through some of the candidates, and you could probably, you could probably, you could probably look at at, at certain favourites there. Um, so I, I, I would expect that will be the case. Um, but first and foremost, like any management, whether it's club or international, the question asks is: is the manager getting enough out of the players? And that's 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 the first. Um, Requisite that that the board or, or the executives too that we mentioned will 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 sort of hone in on. They will look for a manager who can get more out of the players, who can set them up in a way that um, uh, sort of deals with what they had on Friday quite early in the game and can execute some in-game management as well. So it's not beyond us quite early in the match. Um, so I think they would be the first variables to be involved. But Beyond that, um, yeah, I would think, for example, um, the, the the number two and possibly the number three would be would 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 be people maybe ex internationals, uh, if the if the manager isn't himself a former international. So, um, I think that's a given. So, um, Lee Carsley is, is who you uh, have uh, had top of your wish list in the Irish Examiner this morning. Um, do we think Carsley would be interested at this stage? Is is there enough indication that that might be a possibility to make it realistic? Do you think? Uh, in conclusion, yes, I think that is the timing of it is 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 probably ideal. Um, he's he has a stated ambition of managing Ireland. Um, he played for Ireland. He won forty caps. Um, he's involved with the Euros in England. For the next couple of weeks, um, he doesn't have any commitment beyond that. I know the English FA are very eager to keep him. Um, but I think if you were to, um, you know, from the FEI side to have a, a conversation with Lee Carsey about the joint vision, I think he would very much buy into that and could feel he could contribute to that. Um, he does have a history of working with young players, certainly so at Manchester City. Um so given the profile of the team and the way it's going to be in the next sort of 12 to 18 months with that group of or the early 30 lads moving on a bit as well, um, 
I think he would he would grasp this opportunity um, to see what he can bring to us. Um, he is he is a name that's very popular in England. So I know there's, there's there's clubs that are interested in him and want to take him. Um, but he does have a deep affinity affinity with Ireland. I know that, and uh, um, I would I would think that he probably should be the man that would have first refusal on this. Did the return of Big Sam to the Leeds gig with the Robbie Keane addendum suddenly catapult him up the list? I know you're laughing at this, but like. Uh, it it has he hasn't gone away, you know. <laughs> was he was he ever in it? I don't, I don't think I'd ever really heard Big Sam's name mentioned. Apart from yourselves, uh, until the weekend, uh, someone someone threw him in yesterday. And um, Big Sam won't be the other manager. Not a hope. Not even with um, Robbie with Robbie in tow. No. No. Are, no. You, are you promising me this, John? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can see tonight. Don't worry. He won't be. Um, for a number of reasons, which we probably don't have time to go into, but that is not the type of fit that the FEI, uh, the modern FEI, the 2023 FEI uh, will be plumping for. There's more appropriate and suitable candidates than that. Um, so rest assured um, that that won't be happening. So they do want somebody who will bring uh, an experience of the architecture of football and uh, like that's the uh, uh, pardon me that's a flabby way of, of putting it but like somebody who isn't just going to come in and do that job in, in isolation because we, we've, we've tried that before and it hasn't really worked like if, if it's not so Big Sam is kind of I suppose the ultimate example but in a way Martin O'Neill and Trap were fairly similar in that they weren't involved or uh, emotionally invested in um, having a connection between the senior team and, and anything that went underneath it is the hope that the FAI will continue with the strategy of trying to link our senior team with the other teams that we have at international level and whether or not it's working at the moment obviously it isn't but that in the medium term if we are going to succeed as a football country we do actually need some different thinking yeah is the answer to that and you know they're not going to just employ someone who's undivided attention is purely to the senior team, you know, and some of the candidates that are there, they would be, they would be of that mind, you know, they would, they would, they, they would deal in the overall broader scheme of things. Uh, so I, I, w- I wouldn't have fears. Obviously, they know what their job, their job is to get results for the senior team. We have to qualify for tournaments. Like the FEI strategy clearly states the expectation is to qualify for every second tournament. You know, we are unlikely qualify for tournament for a decade now if this one goes and given the FEI's financial position that's just um, you know that's just unviable that just cannot continue given the uh, the prize money that's involved and the cash flow injection they make so reverting back to your point I would I wouldn't have a fear of that you know names such as Graham Potter have been mentioned personally I don't think we would particularly appeal to him, but you're dealing with that sort of profile. You're dealing with a modern manager. And, you know, if there was, if there was to be a handover, I don't see, you know, I wouldn't fear that some of the good work that Stephen has done in terms of introducing a progressive style of football would be lost. I think there would be, you know, sort of a template there. Um, but he doesn't have a copyright on that, as, you know, as Damien Delaney said, there are other managers who think that way and play that way. Um, and also, as we saw on Friday, it's not necessarily, um, the, you know, that, that, that's not a constant in the team either. You know, we did go direct and uh, as Gus Poya found afterwards, it wasn't quite the, um, the beautiful game that he, that he might have anticipated. 
John, we leave there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you. It's John Fallon, the Irish Examiner, giving us some thoughts on the situation this morning. It's 8.33. OTBIM is live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Some of your comments. Uh, big name manager wouldn't help the current players as they just aren't good enough. So you get a foreign version of Kenny. Is this going to improve anything? Says Powell74. If the worst happened and we didn't beat Gibraltar, population of Leitrim tonight, do we think Kenny would resign? Um, I don't know. I try, try not to think about or oh, not beating Gibraltar I mean come on life is short and miserable enough for that it's like oh what's the absolute worst that could happen uh, I find it hard to turn on Kenny he comes across so well in the media and always backs his players which is a great trait to have says David Rowan no point bringing people through when you're never competitive in a group says Mike Don uh, what's more likely to happen first Mayo win Sam Rory wins another major or Ireland win a Rugby World Cup quarterfinal Battle 74 <laughs> the holy what a lineup. <laughs> Uh, give up now God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit uh, where's St. Patrick when you need him front page headlines this morning on two of our tabloids I'm just going to find them so I get the right ones uh, the same headline we'll leave it there so on the front of the star and we'll leave it there so on the front of the Irish Sun because the news has broken this morning that Liam Brady is stepping down as a pundit for RTE on television uh, to reflect a little bit on this Colin Buick is back we just missed him so much over the last two weeks that we dragged him back what, a, oh, what a man I don't know if people saw that documentary uh, a few weeks ago now at this stage on RT about Liam Brady's career because I've always read about it and heard about it how amazing it is on paper but then actually to see it in action in the documentary as he goes back to Italy and goes to his old haunts like two years at Juventus two years at Sampdoria two years at Inter and then a year at Ascoli which is the only part of the documentary they don't actually cover that final season but seven years in Italy like it's one of the great Irish sporting careers never mind football and the fact that he flourished so much too it was a big move going from Arsenal to Juventus as I say only two seasons there but that winning penalty then in pretty much his final kick of the ball for Juve I think to win Serie A what a career and then to see the guy speak fluent Italian is amazing it's just amazing the way back then of course there was no help like there was no adaptation team or anything like that to help you settle into a new culture and language he just got stuck in and he had to because no one was going to talk to him if he couldn't speak Italian and he went for it and then just to be such a beautiful player too like and like we're we're a country of like football lovers who have not produced many great footballers but he's one of them I haven't seen the documentary, but mates of mine were telling me about it recently that there's an incredible scene with Tardelli where oh. they just they arrive down into this kind of tiny little village and they're they're fluently chatting away to each is other, it? and then they go to Tardelli's gaff, which is basically like uh, Madsen's in uh, Succession. Yeah, that's pretty accurate, and like yeah, he doesn't miss a beat, Brady. No, he's perfectly fluent with his old uh, colleague, and. Um, because I grew up with him, you know, obviously on the RT panel and the the great the great panel that they had, and I just you know thought he was the kind of curmudgeon, you know, ex pro who was very hard to please and kind of like uh, had a I suppose negative tone about him often. But you would listen to his opinion; like he definitely was very kind of articulate and uh, expressive in terms of like what he expected from players and games in general. But there's this whole other side to him, and also you do see that kind of more flamboyant nature to him. And also that documentary starts with him singing, I think it's a bit of Bob Dylan. And I never knew he was this great music lover. So look, the documentary just kind of reminded me and I suppose showcased to me for the first time just how much of a legend this guy is outside of what I had already heard. But to lose him on the panel, yeah, it is 
properly now, finally, the end of that great era? Uh, for my 10th birthday, I got to go to watch Ireland versus Brazil when Brady scored. And um, I've been a massive fan of uh, Liam Brady ever since. I like A lot of people think he's just a grumpy box, but actually he just loves football at a level where he's not willing to tolerate yeah. nonsense. Mm. Like yeah. that's, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a bit grumpy if things aren't going well. Exactly. And then, uh, and like, this for them shows the other side of him. It turns out he's not a grumpy bollocks. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I always thought as well out of that, like, panel, that group of panellists, he was not the most grumpy out of them all. Well, I, I would have demeanor. said grumpy. He was like, yeah. Mm. No, I think, I think he's gotten, uh, I suppose he's played that role since the rest of the lads left, you know, one by one. Inevitably, because he's the most senior. So, yeah. with all these young people coming in. The senior analyst role passed from Gilesy to Brady, and very few people in the world would have been able to uh, take on that mantle. Mm. Um, we are delighted to be able to announce this morning that we're going to be hosting a very special event in the Mansion House in October with Liam Brady, partly in celebration of the fact that his book is coming out. We think we have uh, an exclusive first look at the cover of his new autobiography. That's it there. Liam Brady, Born to be a Footballer. Um, it is available for pre-order now in all good bookstores. We'll send out a link uh, where you're going to be able to uh, get that. And make sure you stay tuned to all our social channels because we will be having, as I said, a massive night of celebration of Liam Brady's career to launch the book in October. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. It's going to be a big night and hopefully there'll be some very special guests along the way to uh, pay tribute to one of the true great Irish football lives. When you think about what we're missing, you know, a Brady or a Giles in midfield uh, the difference that it would make to our team right now one of the first Arsenal legends to come into my general con- view of life I always remember it like him and Fabregas <laughs> which was like, a weird combination because obviously two people who were at the club at different times but yeah he, he always was like it, it dumbfounded me that someone from Ireland had played for Arsenal at that stage and then I started to learn about like Emma Byrne your grant all these like great players and I was like well we actually have a great history here I feel oh, yeah. I, I've chosen well yeah that was a, a good selection to make especially now that they're uh, back not bad again mm. uh, so JP Wright voice actor says if Kildare draw Monaghan and win Shane should be banned from ever mentioning Monaghan for the rest of the year I think we can all agree for that I think like if that was to happen I mean it would be quite the win for Kildare at this stage but uh, you know we would take it uh, so me and Antrim have been drawn against each other in the Talton Cup semi-finals me and Antrim down in leash. Right. Just looking at it here. Andy McAtee slightly uncomfortable with that, but um, big, big game. You know, Talton Cup is uh, is paying its dues, and those games are going to be in um, in Croker. Uh, they're the semi-finals in the Talton Cup, so it's Down versus Leash and Meath versus Antrim Talton Cup semi-finals. Is it a double header? I actually, I don't, I don't know the specifics of um, of that. I expect it would be. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. Hi, lads, and. Uh Kathleen and Jer, how's it going? Slightly bleary-eyed, Carl. Yeah, I got about half an hour of sleep last night. <laughs> uh, I stayed up for McElroy and uh, it didn't quite work out. I woke up at four, checked the phone, and was like, oh, and then kind of had a fever hour extra sleep. And then, I don't know, I haven't seen any of it, but it just feels like he never quite got within touching distance to put pressure on. Yeah, I, I felt... Um, there was a sense that around the turn that if McElroy could maybe play in level power from there that, that he would really apply the pressure on Clark because Clark did look a little bit nervy I thought 
uh, coming down the stretch and he did make those couple of bogeys to kind of open the door again for McElroy. Um, but I think Wyndham Clark deserves an enormous amount of credit for the couple of shots that he hit coming in uh, on 17 and 18 to keep it relatively stress-free because McElroy had, had posted on the number uh, just in front of him on nine under par. From McElroy's point of view, I mean, he's probably thinking what more he has to do because he was close to flawless from tee to green and it, again eerily similar to the final day at St Andrews last year at the Open Championship putts just wouldn't drop for him um, and it wasn't that he was hitting you know bad putts the pace of them was quite good it was it was finishing you know 6 to 12 inches behind the hole and generally speaking he, he had you know a lot of opportunities now the, the organisers of the tournament had took the pins away you know on, on the final day to try and keep the scoring relatively um, in in line with US Open standards over the years, but uh, I'm sure he's he's waking up this morning thinking, you know, what do I have to do here to to end the drought? Is he also thinking though, I'm back, baby? Like, well, he said that in his post round interviews that um, he feels like he's getting closer, and that if he keeps putting himself in these positions, that uh, he's going to eventually open the door. But there has to be another side to that, insofar as. If you keep getting into these positions and not winning, that has to play on your sorry, mind. Sorry, 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 sorry. The draw, they, there was no hot balls in this draw, or else they've decided that there were many hot balls and this is exactly what they want. The draw is true for, sorry, breaking news here. Kildare versus Monaghan. Cork at home to Roscommon. Donegal at home to Tyrone. Galway at home to Mayo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we wow. were literally talking about this outside, me and Cahill earlier, like before we came on the show about Galway Mayo. Wow. Wildcard weekend just got wild. Wow. Jersey and Derby as well. Preliminary quarterfinal weekend. Uh, these are your facts and figures. I do think they just need to rebrand this. Now, this is this is exactly what we wanted, right? I mean, well, I, I would did have you say Donegal Tyrone as well. Donegal Tyrone. So you've got two big provincial, <laughs> provincial matches there. Wow. Oh, Galway Mayo is a huge one because I have to say, uh, going into last weekend, and even now, I thought Galway Mayo were the two top teams in the country. Um, and, you know, I think. Okay, they lost last weekend, but they're still both in, in, in reasonably good shape. Um, but that's a huge game. What in Pierce Stadium? Uh, Go a bit home advantage. Yeah. I wonder where Kildare will take Monaghan. They should have they the go to Tullamore. Well, maybe Wexford Park. That's a good draw for Kildare. As far away from Monaghan as they possibly can. <laughs> uh, is it a good draw? I suppose. It, yeah. 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 It's about. So Monaghan coming off the back of um, a tricky a loss, couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. So maybe because um, they're putting in their best performance under Glenn Ryan, mm. they haven't been able to put back-to-back performances together. So, but uh, Cork versus Roscommon, I mean, Cork are going to feel themselves now, right? Yeah, yeah. Like they've just taken care of business against one of the Connacht powerhouses, and uh, very spiky post-match from uh, from um, Davy to I don't know, just. You know, naming naming a few of the bad wides. Um, so yeah, big week for us. Common Donegal against Tyrone. Like Paddy McBrady's back, playing well. Uh, Donegal feeling themselves a little bit. Not scared of Tyrone, I don't think. Yeah, and they've already beaten another Ulster team in Monaghan, so you know they'll be full of confidence. That's a brilliant draw. Galway versus Galway Mayo. Mayo is a huge one. Like I mean, God, um, Mayo will be absolutely kicking themselves. What were they doing? Absolutely kicking themselves. But then again, if they were to win next week, they one gain momentum, two, they knock out one of the top teams and one of the top contenders with the All Ireland title. And one of their arch rivals. Yeah. But let's just assume that uh, they had been able to get into the situation where uh, it was Kerry in this draw. Mm. Wouldn't life have been much better for them? Yeah, of course. 
Of course it would. Um, and and Killian O'Connor, who played in the club league in Mayo over the weekend, would have another week to to get himself back to fitness. Um, but wow, Galway Mayo. Uh, you know, Galway at home, you probably would give them the slight edge there. They've got a couple of players back since the league as well. Damien Comer obviously didn't feature, is carrying a knock. Um, he's going to have to try and get back into to action as well. That it's unlikely he'll be fit for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, for both teams, I would guess you're trying to rush everyone back because you're going to need all hands on deck for that game. That's going to generate a huge crowd and a, a massive interest. And now we are into the real, you know, this is the real championship. And I thought the weekend was actually quite good in that the, the final round of the group stage did generate quite a bit of, um, quite a few storylines and, and quite a bit of interest. Um and Kildare and was a really good game yesterday. I think Cork's result over Mayo was probably the the result of the weekend. And I just don't understand why there wasn't like a plan in place for Mayo to be like, you know, if we're in this situation and this is all we're going to get, we need these points. So take your point. Don't like go for the goal. Try and get that, and we will be in a situation where we're better off than. Playing Galway I do home. think in that situation for Mayo um, the fact that they did cough up that lead I think your head is probably spinning when you're on the field then at that mm. stage and it's probably hard to think straight Is that not where you need a, like it's O'Shea as well like he's supposed to be one of the leaders of the team or else someone else comes over and they're like look I'll take the ball going to put it over the bar even if he was going for the goal he should have been the one in the box Like <laughs> I think that it's up to the management team to get a message on like they've got we know they've got runners we know they've got water carriers we know they're getting sele- uh, delisting selectors from the match day programme to allow them to be Mayor Ishka's and I think you have to tell everybody in advance this is we're obviously going to try and win this game because if we do it's we're on easy streets and if we're not winning the game then we need to make sure that scenario A, B and C happens and under these uh, circumstances just for, to explain they um, they finished on uh, Kerry, Cork and Mayo all finished on four points in their group with Loud at the bottom of the table uh, Kerry have a far superior scoring difference and finished top because it was a three-way tie and then Cork and Mayo ended up on the same uh, point scoring difference and then I think it went to points scored is that what the next I think so I, yeah. I think so so Cork outscored Mayo by four points over the three games um, whereas if if Aidan O'Shea had kicked the final uh, free they would have uh, been ahead of them on a scoring difference and so Mayo would have finished second and Mayo would have had the home quarter final now in fairness it would have been Mayo versus Ross Common if the draw yeah. stayed true but if they'd won the game you have to assume then it would have been Kerry versus Ross Common and that would have been a really brilliant fixture to look forward to in Killarney. Instead, Mayo now have to go to Galway. Yeah. They're going to feel alive. They do like to feel alive, those Mayo boys. Well, this that's week, the thing. they're going to feel it. They, they do thrive on knockout football. And they a bit do of a chaos. lot better. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a real huge game. And as I say, you know, one of the contenders is going to be gone after that. Um, I saw Dublin and Sligo yesterday. Wouldn't be Dublin were pretty poor for the first 20 minutes I have to say uh, but once they, they they shifted up the gears they, 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 got that they took over yeah, yeah yeah. and Sligo had a chance at the other end to get a goal themselves um, Kerry how much can you read into their performance yesterday they scored 524 I think a lot you think? I think I think Kerry are back right I think Kerry have had one blip now in fairness that was the, the best team that they played although I mean, do we have to revisit their Cork performance now Cork well, on the basis that Cork are obviously pretty good, a pretty serious team now. Um, Sorry, James, I don't know who's Cork as they should officially be known. <laughs> but, Passes punditry exams. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely the most wide open championship we've had in you know probably ten or twelve years. I think maybe all the way back to to kind of 
2010-2012 sort of era um, I, I really think that it's Dublin Kerry but um, because because of what happened to Galway at the weekend now having said that right as you, you make the case that the Galway Mayo team whoever comes through that are going to be battle hardened and feel good about themselves because they've just knocked off one of their main rivals um, but uh, in the quarterfinals then can Galway play Armagh again in the quarterfinals? I don't think there's going to be repeat pairings but I'm open to correction on that um, but there was no repeat pairings for this yeah. but I think they haven't decided yet because they wanted to wait and see you know, maybe, sorry maybe you're right and I'm not sure That'll, we'll have to clarify that but and uh, are the semi-finals are they seated on the still, still on the basis of the old provincial like do you know the way yeah that it was like Ulster versus Leinster yeah. or whatever yeah yeah could well be um, but I think the big thing now is the turnaround for teams Uh you know, the the six some teams would probably have a six day turnaround to their matches next weekend, and you know we talk about depth and squads and stuff like that. That's why I think that Galway and Mayo, whoever comes through that, will be okay because they do both have depth, um, and they will have momentum. The winner of that match going into a quarter final against whatever opposition. So they are avoiding. Uh so it says, subject in the first instance to avoidance of repeat provincial final pairings and where possible repeat pairings from round one group stage. Say that again. So, subject in the first instance to avoidance of repeat provincial final pairings and where possible repeat pairings from round one. Okay, so they'll so, do their best. Yeah. Um, which I think probably is, should be more easily done than not, given that uh, that's the only group where three teams could still be alive. Mm. Yeah, sorry, we're, we're working this out in the fly and it's uh, very, <laughs> the old hamster Makes wheels. for a great radio. <laughs> Uh, right um, so the football championship complete waste of time far too many games blah 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 um, blah 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 no I yeah. don't think so no, I come think... on yesterday was one of the greatest days of Gaelic football in history <laughs> yeah. I think maybe one or two little tweaks maybe no no tweaks top two you think the preliminary quarterfinals but, works okay well if they sexed it up like if, if they we were... call it something different as well yeah this whole notion that it's like not important because it's preliminary is is just wrong these games next weekend are the preliminary quarterfinals. Galway versus Mayo in knockout football in Pierce Stadium in an All-Ireland series. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, it's not the case that some team has been grandfathered through to the next round by virtue of the fact that they're in an easy province. Everybody has had the same pathway to get here and some teams screwed it up and that's why they find themselves in difficulty. I think... I think we're starting to see it, the, the rush to condemn in Irish life something immediately. If we just waited and went, okay, well, actually, uh, first and second week, teams are finding out exactly what's going on. Week three, absolutely sensational. Literally one of the greatest days of Gaelic football in history. Matches all around the country. Individual, like the, the weight of the ball in, in people's hands, deciding whether or not a team's how a whole championship season is going to go for multiple counties at the same moment. Yeah, like, but, but what, like I'll put it to you that if it, was, if it was two teams out of the four qualifying, Mayo would be out of the championship this morning because of that turnaround against Cork. Uh, Tyrone would be out. They finished third, didn't and they? Would, would you prefer that? Well, would that... Are you not looking forward to Galway Mayo next week? No, weekend, of course then? I am. Of course I am. But would that, would that format make the earlier games a little bit more... But why do you want those early games to be so amazing? Why are they not just like a... That, that was the league and this is the championship. And the league has begot the best teams in the championship. And now we have this incredible round of... Well, so you're willing to sacrifice 
maybe couple, a little bit of, of intensity in the first two rounds of the group stage for an uh, incredible round three. Pretty intense yesterday, right? Yep. I think we'd all agree yep. that like the end of the Caldera's Common game was absolutely sensational. It's like four games that lasted on a free at the last minute. Amazing. Like like we we couldn't have orchestrated it better. So I'm I'm willing to have two weeks where everybody's like, okay, we need to find out what's going on here. And those two weeks were actually pretty good in retrospect. There were some fairly interesting now, retrospectively, important teams doing stuff. Uh, Westmead, for example. Um, Armagh being beaten and uh, coming through and everybody writing them off. Donegal. I haven't even mentioned Donegal. Jesus. I don't know. I think that the situation, the scenario we find ourselves in here is pretty good. Yeah, I suspect that they, they probably will stick with the format. Um, the only thing that, I think the crowd's numbers were down in the first couple of rounds, would that be fair to say? Yeah, 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 absolutely. They may look at it that let's, way. Let's see what happens next weekend. Yeah, I don't know if it's going let's to be fine see. next weekend. Let's see. <laughs> Carl, good stuff. Thanks Thank for, you. for that. Right, Nathan Murphy is with us. Nathan, good morning to you. Good morning. <laughs> Not happy with that draw, are you? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm regretting having a conversation on Saturday where I was talking about a potential Galway Mayo All Ireland final, and that maybe that was the way to go and win it to beat Galway in a final. Uh, yeah, things uh, took a dramatic turn yesterday afternoon. Listen, if it's Mayo, they it, it does feel watching Mayo that they're similar to the Rochford era, mirroring their opponents. That whatever level their opponent is at they play at and if intensity needs to be brought that they can bring it but that they're not ready to bring it themselves and I think they'll need to bring it and Galway will bring it uh, next Saturday or Sunday in Pierce Stadium like what a game yeah what a game yeah yeah we didn't get you on to talk about that but um, your no. your sad little face at the start <laughs> maybe I had to ask about it <laughs> McElroy and Mayo uh, what about Rory wow. did you stay up you did no I did not I, uh, I've discovered a new way of watching golf I I, uh, I travelled back overnight from Greece and I'm an old man now and I was at a, I was stayed up much the first four holes and my eyes were closing and I thought let's go to bed. Got up at six a.m. It turns out watching golf with no ad breaks is a vastly more enjoyable experience because there's a hell of a lot of them, a hell of a lot of them. So what happened? It didn't hold any putts. Simple as that. That on a very difficult golf course he hit the ball incredibly well and he gave himself so many chances but it just hasn't been there from all week on the greens. He hit 59 greens in regulation across the four rounds and still finished on what? Nine under par. Couldn't win this tournament. And looking back through my notes, if you look all the way really from the eighth hole when he had that eagle putt from off the green, leaves it four foot short, missed that. He had six birdie putts in a row from then on. Five of them all from very much makeable range and he didn't hold any of them. And that was the opportunity when Wyndham Clark played exceptionally well, but is not a major winner, is not somebody who's ever contended in a major before. That was the opportunity coming into the back nine to really put some pressure on him. And Clark played some really solid golf around then, but that was Rory's opportunity. He had a big bit of luck on 14 where he went into the side of the bunker and it could have been an absolute disaster and he managed to get a free drop but he ends up bogeying that hole instead of taking advantage of that situation. And then Clark just sort of hung on in there at the end. Again, Rory gave himself a couple of half chances, but like that back nine, it's so hard to pick up shots that when you give yourself the amount of opportunity. Oh. Now, this doesn't feel as heartbreaking as a St. Andrews 
where you know Rory was absolutely devastated afterwards and bounced back brilliantly at the end of the year. But I think Rory gave it his all and just couldn't get the putts to drop. Um, I was we were talking about this earlier on. We, we put him in the amber because uh, it felt like there was a recovery happening. Over the last few weeks, it's hard to know exactly where he was. There was the not showing up in the aftermath of the Masters. And then there's the public humiliation of being the only person, himself and Tiger Woods, who uh, stood up on behalf of their tour against Live Golf. And then to find that no one had your back, really, and a clandestine deal was being done behind your back, the sacrificial lamb happened. And it did feel like, um, as somebody who takes these things personally, that he might not be able to just come back and be the same golfer. And that's why I think this is kind of a recovery week for him in many respects, is that he will continue to be the golfer that we've always thought he was. Very streaky, but always worth watching and able to contend. But his streaks last 18 months. Most players have one 18-month streak in their entire career. He's on his fifth 18-month streak where he's one of the best players in the world. And he came into this week talking about playing in Canada at Memorial and feeling his game was in good shape. He had two very average Sundays, which I think put a lot of people off. And then, as you say, what felt like a something of a public humiliation with how this whole live PGA Tour merger came about and the people who he would have been very close to been front and center at that. But quite often when his back is against the wall, when there's something to be a little bit angry about, Rory's at his best. And the most positive thing with this, again, is that Rory's contending at majors. For those first five, six years since his last major win. There wasn't a huge amount there. There was that Masters where he went into the final round playing with Patrick Reed, and you sort of felt from the second hole it was was sort of done. But actually, he's putting himself there major after major and giving himself a chance. So St. Andrews, he played too conservatively, sort of felt that that would be enough, and it turns out Cam Smith and plays one of the great back nines and outruns him and outlasts him in the end. Yesterday, I felt watching it there this morning, that he was going to win this by just hanging on in there. That there was no way Wyndham Clark could withhold the pressure and the difficulty of the golf course. And Clark just scrambled ridiculously well. The amount of times he ended up in that really deep rough, ended up in shockingly bad lies, and just about managed to get himself up and down and hold those par putts and stay t- solid on 10 under par. Like the top three all finished level par for the round. Uh, stayed exactly as they were. Ricky Fowler obviously blew up in the final round, but the other three all stayed level par. It was that sort of US Open final day. And McElroy, the frustration will be he had the chances. And there have been question marks about his putting through the years. He definitely went through a spell in the latter half of last year where his putting had improved massively. But last night, when the heat was really on, those 14, 18 footers, and he had so many in a row that he couldn't hold, that's where it'll be a bitter taste in his mouth. But I think he'll take a lot of confidence. And he's heading to Hoylake in a month where he won the Open Championship previously. And he'll probably be a hot favorite for that. Like Scotty Scheffler and John Ram were ahead of him in the put- in the betting this week. Scotty Scheffler is putting again. Oh, my God. Like his The rest of his game wasn't at its top, top level yesterday. But his putting again is just absolutely killing him. And it's hard to see how he can turn that around in the space of months. So I think Rory will head to Hoylake in a very good position mentally on a golf course that he absolutely loves. And with a great chance of winning that fifth major and getting level with Brooks Kepka. And the other thing I think it does is that question that everyone loves to ask, will Rory win another major? And we all like to go... You know, we have the extreme reactions. Of, oh, yes, he absolutely will. He might get to 10 still. Or he's never going to win another major. Like... You know, he's got another 20 years at ease. He's going to put himself in contention another four or five times. I'm not saying he'll win them all, 
But he's got so many opportunities still to come. Players will get better, all of that. But he has such a natural talent. He is driving the ball outrageously well. If he had won this week, we'd be talking about one of the great driving performances. His drives on the first hole on all four days were just ridiculous. And as much as we talk about the young guys coming through from college that they can all do it, he can still do it better than anybody else off the tee. All right. Nathan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, Jer. That's uh, Nathan giving some thoughts there. More on Golf Weekly this week. A uh, reminder of the draw. Kildare against Monaghan, Cork against Roscommon, Donegal versus Tyrone, and Galway versus Mayo uh, on Wildcard Weekend next weekend. How are you feeling about Monaghan? Uh, I, think, I think that um, Kildare have a chance of winning that game. You'd make Monaghan favourites. They're the Division 1 team. Um, but it's obviously going to be at a neutral venue. And I'd say uh, Monaghan have given Kildare their fill of it in recent years. But at the same time, the performance was good. The team selection seemed to be more on point. The strategy behind the play seemed to be more on point from Kildare's perspective. Uh, the fact that they came through a game against Roscommon, again, a, a Division One side, and um, the manner in which they were able to do it, like, we've seen that film many times as Kildare fans where you're in the game, you're in the game and then the other side uh, creates a few chances and, and score and like it did look like Kildare had made a, a critical psychological error uh, with two minutes of stoppage time with the five gone where a bit of a Hollywood shot gets taken on Roscommon recycle the ball go down the field and mm-hmm. kick a beautiful like absolutely sensational equaliser and uh because they did get the ball back and you thought maybe they're not going to be able to manufacture a chance. But Daniel Flynn, with the outside of the boot to a position where very few people are going to be taken on uh, free, finds Feely. Feely has an all-time great Kevin Feely catch under pressure. And then, like he's in his back garden, kicks the point Pops and the game's over. over. It was sensational. So... Whatever happens, they've given us a moment. Mm. and um, well, I think the means of the win in particular will give them a lot of confidence going into this, knowing that they can pull it out of the bag when they need to and do it in such spectacular fashion, as you said. Yeah, look, Vinnie Corey's had a great first season at Monaghan as well. He's been able to um, pick his horses for courses, but they're coming off the back of um, uh, a difficult situation where they would have expected to be at home and they're not. So, uh, on verra. Three minutes past nine this morning, OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Alan Quillen is with us. Quinny, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, guys. How are you? Um, Roman Entomac had one of the all-time great rugby moments at the weekend. Unfortunately, it came against Ron Nagara's La Rochelle, but uh, sometimes you just have to hand it to the genius when the genius does genius things. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was sensational, to be honest. Um, I think probably on the face of it, uh, La Rochelle were the better side in the game. Um and he came up with a, just a piece of magic there in Tamak. Every time any of the Irish provinces play Toulouse, you're always talking about how do you stop DuPont and, and in Tamak and their influence in the game. La Rochelle had done that brilliantly for probably 77 minutes of the game on, on, on Saturday night. And um, it's just a little bit of switch off in defence, I think. Um Toulouse didn't seem to be going anywhere. And how often do we see it in rugby when teams are trying to attack out the field? Somebody knocks the ball on or drops it. Just keep your discipline. Um, keep the continuity of your defensive line. But I think Raymond um, Dylan Lades was the one who was um, 
ultimately missed the tackle or he slid off into Mac. But I think Satini, the, 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 the centre, he shoots up out of the line and that whole defensive line got fractured. And you just can't do that against someone like Roman Intimac. And um, it was a sensational score. He had a poor game, uh, made lots of mistakes throughout the game, poor passes. His kicking wasn't great. And um, it just shows the quality of the players. It's never over um, against Toulouse in particular because it's in their DNA, Ger. Um There's a lesson for everyone in sport. You know, sometimes when you, you think it's over and your back is against the wall and you feel it as a fan or a reporter there, they just never stop. They, they, they have confidence and belief that they can do something special. You know, they've won 22 French top 14 titles, five European Cups. They're the most successful side, club side, and one of the most, if not the most successful club side in, in um, professional rugby since since its inception. So, uh, incredible win in the end. Heartbreak for Ronan and La Rochelle because they, they did so their power and the, the way they played throughout the game. You could, Of course, you can pick holes and mistakes they made, but Intimax try was just unbelievable. For anybody who hasn't seen it yet, sorry, um, it's uh, Rook deep inside their own half, kind of um, and their own 10 metre line, and he just gets the ball, has a shimmy and a feint, and suddenly he's scoring under the post, 70, 70 metres down, with a minute and a half, two minutes on the clock left, and La Rochelle, as you say, in the lead up to that point. Um, very hard to take for La Rochelle, even with the fact that they're back-to-back European champions. This is the type of thing that kind of scars you a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think that's obviously this is the one that they really would have wanted um, to to domestically. You know, both these sides have been the most dominant sides in the league throughout the season. I think there was 10 or 12 points um, separating the rest. The Toulouse and La Rochelle were 10 or 12 points clear of everybody else. Um, very dominant sides. And, you know, psychologically, you know, look, we're, we're speaking about Leinster losing you know, the final whole left affect them and, and last year against uh, La Rochelle as well. It's difficult. Um, you have to kind of regroup. Um, new players come in, some guys retire, all that kind of stuff. There's a few changes. So um, it's hard to take. But look, that sport, it's pretty cruel. I think um, what will frustrate La Rochelle is, you know, they, they nearly did everything right in the game. I think when they're 2013 up in that second half, that's that's a critical point. Um, Ramos kicks penalties and puts Toulouse ahead. You know, so La Rochelle just needed another score. Um, there was a couple of key moments there. Breeze Toulon running back with the ball at one stage. Botia at the breakdown gets into Mac right on the halfway line. Um, into Mac, not sure if it's 100%. The referee said he touched the knee off the ground. La Rochelle turned the ball over. The penalty was given against La Rochelle and then somebody spoke to the referee and they marched him 10 yards. Ramos kicks that penalty. And I suppose the try that they, they you know, after 23 minutes, Cabrera's the Argentinian centre playing for Toulouse. Um, it's a loose pass. Dante loses the ball in contact and it bobbles a little bit. Toulouse snaffle it and, and they score in the corner. So they kind of, <clears throat> the two tries they gave were you know, it wasn't that Toulouse were hammering away at their line and created something wonderful like they, they usually do and we know they can. So they did a lot of stuff in the game. But Hugo Mola, the French coach, spoke about karma. 
and he kind of admitted afterwards that you know karma was on their side a couple of breaks uh, staying in touch and that moment of magic at the end um anton hostile missed a couple of kicks early on as well so yeah very small margins they did so much right and um just couldn't get over the line and that's that's sport but you know to lose have that belief and that mentality that they're never finished and you just can't switch off of them and that moment of magic piece of magic from Intermac who you know if you look back at the game he had a poor game there's a lot of talk in France and even some of the match reports afterwards um, talking about you know his inconsistency and and how he's played this season um, but he still has that ability to do something magical like that there's even people talking that Jaminet should be out half for France he, he offers more control but um, when you have someone like who can run like that and again karma is probably I, I just look back at the match and I thought sometimes it's not meant to be and it was a little bit like that for Leinster against La Rochelle in that semi-final you know certain things go wrong you miss a touch somebody knocks on the ball there's one or two moments like that where you're going God it's just not happening for us and um that it didn't happen for La Rochelle the other night and I suppose with Toulouse if La Rochelle won Leinster would have been you know top seeds in tier one of the of the new format of the Champions Cup so it's not a big issue I don't think but they would have avoided um, La Rochelle Saracens um, in the top seeds but I don't think it'll affect Leinster too much but it was an incredible final you know I, for anyone that hasn't seen it the intensity of it um the razzmatazz, the the crowd, the atmosphere was it was just unbelievable for you know middle towards the end of June to see that quality of rugby in France. It's it's exceptional. Quinny, good stuff. We leave it there. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, Joe. Uh, Mark McGillan says just back from La Rochelle. Great atmosphere down at the old port all day. Everyone's sitting out from early, having a few beers, setting off flares inside and outside every time they scored. Uh, Fergus Kill says delighted to lose exciting rugby beat La Rochelle's bish bash bosh give it to skeleton style I think that's uh, slightly reductive Love it. yeah I mean it was some game there was the pattern of it felt very similar to the game against Leinster and that La Rochelle went down early and fought the, to get themselves back into it and then that moment from Ned Mack at the end was just insane especially because there was only a couple of minutes before that he had uh, free and he kicked it out on the full which meant that like uh, La Rochelle got a scrum instead and you could just see in his face he was like what am I doing like I messed up so many times and then the other joy the fact that he was the one that got to kick out the ball at the end they handed it all the way back to him and he smashed it and just dropped to the ground you could see how much it meant to them and the fact that all the La Rochelle players were absolutely devastated I think there was four or five tackles that he ran through on way to scoring the try and every single one of those people they were all just in absolute tears after the game uh, I will criticise the French TV director for not giving us enough shots of Raj in the stands and what he was mentally going through he was I barely I understand this is like the, the best box office there is in the world well then at one point I was like maybe did they lose him because they did show him at one stage and he wasn't actually sitting in the coach's box he looked like he was sitting on the stairs somewhere and I was like maybe they just couldn't find him for a while but I think they only showed him two or three times in the whole thing which is always entertaining schoolboy error on behalf of the French directors notoriously bad French directors by the way uh, 12 minutes past 9 this morning live commentary of the Republic of Ireland against Gibraltar tonight Nathan will be joined by Stewie Byrne at the Aviva some highlights 
highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you today. Stephen Kenny's presser. You can hear the uh, first 10 minutes of that, the Sunday paper review, getting uh, deep into the weeds of the Ireland performance and uh, all the weekend's GA reaction. Brilliant stuff from Tony McEntee. Uh, great stuff from the various games around the country, um, the Tipperary hurlers, etc. Um, and uh, now, over the last few weeks, off the ball, I've been travelling to France in style with Irish ferries and exploring what Nantes, Bordeaux and La Rochelle have to offer ahead of the Rugby World Cup. It's all in partnership with Irish ferries. Sea travel differently. Here's a little short clip from the series with Alan Quinlan talking to Ashling about Ireland's game against Romania and Bordeaux as they wander around the city. We're back after these talking Gaelic football with Eamon McGee. You're listening to OTB AM. Right, I'm delighted to say Eamon McGee is with us to reflect on an incredible weekend of Gaelic football and a saucy little draw for both the Talton Cup semi-finals and the preliminary slash wildcard weekend. Eamon, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Joe. How's the form? How are you? Yeah, reports of the demise of Gaelic football greatly exaggerated, but particularly reports of the demise of Donegal football, it turns out, greatly exaggerated. What's going on? Yes, pleasantly surprised there after the performance on 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 Saturday night. Now I, th- I thought we wouldn't have have enough there to to take Monaghan, but put in a big big first half and just showed exactly why we're we're saying this for a long time that we'll always produce players now, and uh, if we can get the right structures in place and and the right conveyor belt, then you know it's it's not going to be once every tw- twenty years or once every thirty years in terms of all Ireland. Like that's that's the plan that we want to be up at the the top table consistently Fair play to Aidan O'Rourke uh, you know I know it was a difficult scenario for him uh, to come in but what they've managed to do to turn things around since the change of manager uh, it's kind of it's quite spectacular really it's, it's, it's brilliant and fair play to them the credit has to go towards the credit has to go towards the players too because they took it an awful tanking after getting rid of Paddy Carr and then you know following up with bad league, league performances and then getting beat in, in, in the first round by n- a not great down team um, so the players have to take credit and, and of course Ed O'Rourke for, for galvanising everybody and putting in they're playing to still a wee bit of work to do in terms of the system but you can see you can see what they're you can see what they're doing and you know it's it's great to see the likes of Dara Boyle and Oshin Gallen then just taking the opportunity that's that's come their way Now with the way that the rest of the results went at the weekend the reward is obviously a, a home preliminary quarterfinal uh, and it was always going to be Mayo, Tyrone or Roscommon of course it had to be Tyrone in the draw this morning um, you know. Yeah it had to be Tyrone had to be here for I'd say that's the th- Hundred time now in the last ten years we've met Tyrone Balbuffet in championship, <laughs> uh, and sometimes you come out the right side of it, and sometimes you don't. It's not it's not guaranteed here. Like if we, if if uh, you know two months ago we had said that Tyrone were going to be playing Donegal and Balbuffet, you'd be making Tyrone five six point favourites, but not at the moment. No, and and I think that's what the the there's a lot of younger crew there about Donegal. I think that's exactly what they need. You know, something a game like that just to really really. Take, take them round and for them to just to rise up to the occasion because they're, you know, it's, it's knockout football and you, you'd hope to see a response. And I think the Tyrone game is exactly what you'll, what you'll get from that, that, that'll, that'll take it out of them. And it's, it's, it's really, really exciting and looking forward to it now. Uh, why are Tyrone so flaky at the moment? I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's sports psychologists and a lot more money than us that couldn't answer that question. Um, there, there must be incredibly 
second to Armagh because Armagh are on a, on a different level in terms of frustration. But Tyrone, they're just so inconsistent, and we, we I, I can't just put my finger on exactly what why that is now. Um, I suppose if we all get on the on the media and get on the, get on their back and write them off, that they'll come round and produce a big performance. So my mission this week is just to <laughs> play up Tyrone and say Tyrone are all Ireland champions, champions, and they're the best team that's that's left in it. So uh, we've we've seen that response from the throughout, throughout the year that they've had a bad performance. We've written them off, and then they'll come out and just pr- produce a big one. So. There might be an element to the. There probably is that something psychological there. So it's it's just that if if the management team there can can sort it out and get it, and hopefully they don't. Hopefully they don't. Now hopefully they'll wait till next year to sort it out. There's something that kind of inflicts a lot of the teams that are through to this stage or through to the quarterfinal already. You know, you had Nathan saying earlier about Mayo. They need a team that puts them under pressure. Although I would argue with him that I think Cork did a pretty good job of that at the weekend. Like Kerry, it's taken them a little bit of time to get going. Dublin taking them time to get going. they are getting there eventually is that just a symptom of the fact that these bigger teams when they get to the latter end and things really feel like they're on the line I suppose for them that they kind of perk up a little bit and I think there's definitely something there uh, we, we've we've been brought up for you know years and years that championship is, is do or die and now we're in the championship and there's there's kind of exits here there's there's ways out we it's not really do or die until like this weekend so we we don't know where teams are at in terms of you know that mentality that you take the safety rope off that players make different decisions managers managers really really go for it they'll risk players and so when they have that week safety rope on and then that's gone now you'll see a completely different mentality for for a lot of teams and it's just it's hard to get a gauge i think we've we've all heard this word you know shadow boxing and i'm kind of fed up it already um, so it's, it's hard to get a gauge, and I suppose teams and management are getting used to the the new format that the, they're trying to find their way through it. But like we are all accustomed to the championship, that you know you go all and and it's it's all out, and and this is kind of a wee bit of a de- departure from that. And I'd like to see a wee bit of of a more th- threat, and that's why I'd like to see the the two teams maybe. So, but we, we'll we'll give this we'll give this format a, a few years and see how we get on with it. Yeah, I think yesterday is a ringing endorsement for it. McGinney was making the point afterwards that like literally every point at the end of games and some groups mattered. Aidan O'Shea kicks that over and then suddenly they're at home instead of away to Galway and it's a massive, massive turnaround in their fortunes. Now, maybe it turns out a trip to Galway is exactly what they need. We, we, we'll have to wait and see. But um, like even the Caldera's common game, the drama at the end of that, maybe it would have been the same. One of those teams would have been out. But I also think then next week, is is actually going to be the full bit where we go. Ah, oh, that's why the teams in third place are through because they're all still pretty good, and there's kind of a blanket over that group of teams. After you get past Dublin and Kerry, it turns out anywhere from Galway down to Roscommon, any one of those are going to fancy knocking off the other team. Are you not including Dublin and Kerry in that? I, I don't think they're that far ahead of the the, the, the rest of them now. Slight, um, slightly ahead. I would make them slightly ahead. I think that their ceiling is way higher than the rest of the teams. If they start to click the way we know they can and it looks like Kerry are getting players into form, I mm-hmm. think Dublin are getting players fit. So that's the bit where I still think... No, it's that's, that, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um and and I agree with you. Yesterday was and and you know Saturday night was a, was a big endorsement now. But we, we've we've got to give it time. Uh, I still think there's a few. The fact that there's 
only four teams eliminated is, is a big bugbear, but maybe that's their traditional. I'll go, just go back to them. I'm used to the, the championship where it's it's all in, and uh, maybe I, I've got to got to move on from that, and you know, really, really get 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 behind this uh, this new format and this new way of uh, thinking about the about the championship. Can I just uh, take a moment for Kevin Feely, who's come back from a horrific Achilles injury, to have a moment at the end of the game where it's you know just him and a left foot shot having won the mark, which was like kind of ridiculous in and of itself. Um, that Kildare performance is is actually their best performance really since the McGinney era. Uh, Jason Ryan had a win against Cork, and I think this might be the only other win that we've had against uh, a team in a division higher than us since in championship. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just and and, and, I, and I had in my notes there just before I had uh, Kevin Philly's name marked as as a kind of give him a, give him a wee nod because I read an article by Morris Brosnan there about what he mm-hmm. what he's came through and and the, the way he's he's battled back and for him to to score to win the mark and then to score the point is uh, it's just it's just a good personal story and and you know you got to tip tip the hat to him yeah top fella as well um I, like. I don't know how far Kildare will go. I don't know if Monaghan will be delighted just getting Kildare in the draw and they'll be thinking, yeah, that's exactly what we needed. But um, these games, there, there does seem like there'll be jeopardy in the four games next weekend. Every every team is going in there and and they'll have aspirations of getting to the to the quarterfinal. Every team will back themselves in terms of, you know, we like Kildare are going in there against Monaghan. If they look at Monaghan from last Saturday, they'll see the vulnerability. They'll see that we, we can get at Monaghan here. And, um, you know, Donegal's the same with Tyrone. Obviously, Mayo and Galway, they're, that's their two teams. And then you have... Burke and Roscommon. Cork and Roscommon, yeah, Cork are just on a high there now, and Roscommon will again have uh, aspirations of progress, progressing further, and you know, kind of backing up the good, the good season they've had. So um, it's it's a great way to be going into going into a weekend like that there. What do you think happened, Mayo, from the high of going down to Killarney and smashing Kerry the way they did, to what's happened in the subsequent two weeks? May, that, that, that's just Mayo. I, I was honoured with Adrian and Shane uh, a few few weeks ago, and it says like we were talking about Mayo's All Ireland credentials, and you know they've brilliant league, and they they backed it up then with a brilliant performance against against Kerry. Um, although the the worst common performance w- was in there in the kind of championship, and we thought they'd, they'd rub that off. They were going to go all out, and then you know the struggle was loud, and they get beat by Cork, and and that's 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 Mayo. That's just sums Mayo up so much that they can go from the brilliant to the to the mundane and in, in, in the space of weeks. So it's 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 in them, and I don't think it's going to be a season where you know that. The, you know, Kevin McStay is going to be able to work that in one season. I think that if he's going to work the All, All Ireland, you know, looking at it, it's going to be hard to do it in the one season. He's got to do it over over a length of time, and maybe you're talking two, two, three, two, three years to rewire that uh, that DNA that they have, that the ability just to to, to self destruct. Have we kind of underestimated Cork in that group of? Because like you look at the results that they have, and they're significantly better than probably what Mayo did. I mean, they ran Kerry pretty close. Also at home, they beat Loud, albeit by two points, and then they had that great win against Mayo at the weekend. But it's probably the first time anyone's properly mentioned them. And even with that result against Kerry, where there was only the two points in it, it was seen more as a flaky Kerry than an actually a really good Cork performance. 
A hundred percent. We've we've underestimated Cork. Um, I think, but we can only go on what we see. We 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 were going on the league there. We were going on the on the monster championship, and we were probably right to write them off. But if if you listen to Jack O'Connor uh, after the game and an interview after the after the Kerry game, that he he's not surprised. He he knew what it was about, and you know I would I would chat to Thomas O'Shea the odd time, and and he knows, and he, he's talked about the quality that, that that's in Cork, and the. They've they're backing it up slightly, and when when you do look about, you have the likes of Hurley and Ian Maguire and and, and these boys like they they do have the quality powders there as well. So uh, we definitely underestimate, and we probably didn't give them as much credit for the potential they have. They had a bad league, but they 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 have they have potential. And they're in the situation where this is maybe not the year where they go a bit further but that next year it's something that they'll take on like there's enough of the younger lads in there to take this team a bit further Exactly and, and that's what it's about that's the, the, the great thing about this new format you look at Westmeath have come on there from the, from winning the Talent Cup given a brilliant account, themselves, account of themselves in, in the in the group format and it's up to them to push on and Cork will be the same you know you're, they're not going to get to a semi-final they're not going to get to a final but it's up to them now that they, they have the they have the evidence there that they're they're a good team and if they can just back it up now for the next two three years then you know hopefully they'll they'll get uh, competitive and be competitive and start winning Mon- Monster Championship uh, in terms of the teams who have the week off, how important is that buy going to be? Do you think, or at this stage of the season, actually, uh, given how much training and how well conditioned the teams are, is there some benefits to actually playing week in, week out? There, there's definitely benefit. You know, it just depends who you ask in terms of you know that momentum that's built that you just get a game week in, week out. But but I also think there's benefit to watching. The teams they're playing this weekend, they're in the shop window, and again you go back to the point where it's a it's a no, it's a knockout game, so things are going to be tried that they might have been held back in in the, in the group stages, and they might have been in a weak comfort zone. Players are going to show show their hand a wee bit more. Management the same, and it's an opportunity for the teams in the quarterfinals to to get a wee look at and to, to rest up and get a wee bit of freshness in, in, in their legs and. Whatever we lessons they've learned over 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 the last few weeks that they they can hone them this week, freshen up, hone them this week, hone them at the weekend, freshen up for the week, and and really go at that that quarter final. So it just depends what, who you ask, and and it depends uh, what 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 way you look at it. With Kerry, for example, right, there was a significant factor. I think a certain uh, cohort who thought that the Mayo thing the performance was actually indicative of a team that was a little bit off it this year. But they've obviously been able to lick their wounds since against Cork, who they obviously have a special relationship with and always get up for. And that first half performance was good. And then they blow away Mickey Hart's Louth, which would have meant something to the Kerry folk, the fact that it was Mickey Hart and the games in the noughties have scarred them and scarred their football culture so much, even though they won't admit it. Uh, So... Are they back? Are, are we to assume that they're they're back and like Sean O'Shea's form is back because he plays well against Louth? Or are there still for you question marks that they haven't come up against a side? I, I still I'll I'll answer that question after the after the quarterfinal if they're if they're back or not. But but the big thing is that Sean O'Shea has picked up and he found a bit of form. That, that that was the big thing that everybody was looking to Clifford. He shut Clifford out and, and he needed the Sean O'Shea's to be to be to be standing up and uh Johnny O'Shea when he when he came onto the scene was you know he he very very good player and so, something that 
you know, and all the gloss of what Clifford on Shawnee O'Shea was just was outstanding. And it's and they need him. Kerry actually need him. I feel that is maybe not as much as Clifford, but they, they on on that level, just a few percent below it that they need they need Shawnee O'Shea going as well. Um, we were talking about footballer of the year at various stages. Uh, I thought when um. Galway scored that goal. I was like, okay, well, that, that's a potential candidate for Footballer of the Year. But like, am I just overthinking this? The Footballer of the Year has to be Clifford because he's already scored whatever is it five twenty something. Um, or did, did those performances against those lower tier teams not count as much just yet? I think that like for for me, Clifford's the Footballer of the Year at, at, at the minute. But there's still a lot of football and there's still a lot of statements to be to be made in the, in these in these knockout games. And Clifford will come up against the 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 better quality quality of man markers. But like uh, Clifford is the is the, is the stand is the standout player uh, at at the at the minute. Um, but again, there's there's a there's a lot of lot of football to be played. You tweeted last night, Eamon, that you were struggling to pick a favourite for the All-Ireland after that weekend. Have, having slept on it, do you feel like you're any closer to working out who you think it might be? No, Could've... not at all. I didn't sleep thinking, trying to work out, who, who, trying to read the, the form book now, but I definitely don't agree with Jer in terms of having Dublin and uh, Kerry way, way out there. Um, I think, you know, Galway are probably... If if that was a knockout game yesterday, I, th- I think Galway would um, would have found a way. Would have found a way to be, to be to be their man. You know, would probably would have risked risked Comer. Um, I think Galway possibly are just a wee bit out there for 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 me at the minute. And you know, I've I've watched Derry a few times, and I've never walked away from them thinking right that's that's an all Ireland one the team there now but when you when you look across the landscape and and you see what what's go what's out there and 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 the different teams are probably in contention like have any of them put up their hands so maybe Derry could be uh, could be building up a wee bit of momentum here all right Eamon good stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers cheers that's same McGee giving us his thoughts on the games uh, at the weekend um we didn't get to the Talton Cup semi-final draws there but it's uh, Down against Leash and it's Antrim against me those games are a double header on Sunday in Croker uh, on tomorrow's show uh, Shane's back we've got Ireland against Gibraltar reaction we've Andy Dunn's depth chart so we'll be looking at the 10 position and um, in a world where Sexton is there obviously we know Sexton is number one but if Sexton's not there who's our number one did, uh, did Ross Byrne do enough or uh, is there more sorry no Shane tomorrow no, it's Adrian in the hot desk. Uh, even though Shane technically is back today, he's just taking another day just to, you know, chill. Right. <laughs> Do you want to say that again there into the earpiece there? <laughs> Tell him. Uh, plenty more besides. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.